Good morning, Eve. To the 59th annual ACB Conference and Convention, A Pathway to the Future. Aren't we having just an absolutely spectacular time? I don't know about you guys, but I tell you, I feel like I'm really in convention mode now. I was trying to run from session to session while trying to get in a bite of lunch and a bite of dinner. It just was... uh, It was exciting. And I tell you, the one really nice thing about this virtual convention is you can you can go from session session to session without having to walk three blocks. All you have to do is switch from the first ACB channel to the second and you are right back in the action. So it's just been a lot of fun. I want to send a special shout out to Cindy Hollis and all of her community chats. Had the opportunity to be part of both of those yesterday evening. And what a group of excited and energetic folks. It was so good to get to know some of them better and hear what they were really enjoying about the convention. Also want to congratulate Carl Richardson and the ADP uh, uh, committee for their just outstanding job putting on our first primetime show last night, which was an ADP industry panel with world-renowned leaders from across the globe. Just an absolutely fascinating presentation. Thanks, Carl. And I want to remind everybody that tonight's primetime show is the ACB Easy Chair Auction starting at 6 o'clock. You don't need any bidder number to participate. All you got to do is call in on that Zoom link and bid, bid, bid. So we'll look forward to seeing all you all at 6 o'clock tonight. And now it's time to call this session back to order. And first, I would like to introduce for our invocation this morning, Deb Trevino. Uh, Deb is from Newark, Delaware, and she is the current president of our Delaware affiliate. Welcome, Deb. Let us pray this morning together. Almighty God, you have brought us together in a year which we thought we would not even have a convention. And it's turning out to be a wonderful convention. We're so grateful that you have given us the opportunity to work together to build this convention and to bring all the joy and excitement and enthusiasm that that ACB depends on from our membership. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to be healthy, even in the midst of this awful virus. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us today and throughout the convention. Help us to make decisions that will be good for ACB. Help us to enjoy the friends and fellowship that you offer us in this venture. We ask that you would just be with us each day as we travel through this life you've given us. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Redeemer, who saves, redeems, and protects us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deb, for those inspirational words. Now we are going to hear from two of our J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows, Connie Sims from Sioux Falls, South Dakota and Wanda Williford from Trenton, New Jersey, who will lead us in our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Connie and Wanda. 
Next, it's an exciting time for us to recognize our ACB sponsors. And to do that, I'd like to once again welcome back Marjorie Beeman, our ACB Convention Sponsor Coordinator from Austin, Texas. Marjorie. Thanks, Mr. President. Good morning to all. Thanks to all our sponsors as follows. Diamond Sponsors, 25,000. Microsoft, Virtual ACB Educational Recreational Tours. Google, ACB Conference Banquet. J.P. Morgan Chase, Conference Communication Center. Banda Pharmaceutical, Convention Announcements. Emerald Sponsors, 15,000. Charter Communications, ACB Radio Afternoon Broadcast. Bisparo, Virtual Information Technology Help Desk. Comcast, Virtual Information Desk. Ruby Sponsors, 10,000. AT&T, ACB Auction. Facebook, ACB Scholarship Mentoring Program. Regal Foundation, ACB Link, Health and Wellness, and ACB Walk. Adobe, Continuing Education Credit. Archon, Conference Registration. Amazon, Audio Description Project. Verizon Media, Performing Arts Showcase. Verizon, Membership Monday and Transportation. Sprint Accessibility and Sprint Vision, T-Mobile. ACB Podcast through December 2020. Onyx Sponsor, 5,000. National Industries for the Blind, NIB, Advocacy and Employment, Democracy Live, Incorporated, ACB Governance Policy and Constitution and Informational Access, IRA, Video Presentation Consulting, Humanware, Convention Connect Sponsor, Macro Degeneration, ACB Walk, and Be My Eyes. Topaz Sponsor, 3000 TrackPhone, Wireless Incorporated, official sponsor of all general sessions. Buell Fund, Recreation Zone, and ACB Walk. Pearl Sponsors, $1,000. Library Users of America, Lua, Talking Book Narrator. American Logistics, Affiliate President's Seminar. Lainey Feingold and Linda Dadarian, audio description of 4th of July fireworks. Thanks to all of our sponsors. You have helped make our ACB virtual conference and convention a success. Thank you, Marjorie, for that wonderful presentation of our key corporate sponsors. Just a reminder that we've also had wonderful individual sponsors for our convention, and we are going to be sharing those with you uh, the next three days of our general session. So please stay tuned uh, to hear a list of our individual sponsors. And thank you, sponsors, for all your wonderful support of this year's ACB conference and convention. Excited now to hear from one of our Diamond sponsor presentations. This one is uh, from J.P. Morgan Chase, just a wonderful, wonderful partner of ACB. We are going to hear from Managing Director of, Glo of the Global Office of Disability Inclusion, and that is Jim 
Sanaki from New York, New York. Thank you, Jim. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Sanaki from J.P. Morgan Chase. I'm head of disability inclusion, and I'm thrilled to be talking to uh, all of you at the American Council of the Blind. Um, let me tell you a little bit about me uh, first before we we get into some of the details here that I'd I'd love to share with you. Um, I joined the firm about four years ago after retiring from the IBM Corporation, and I'm really excited about uh, this year, this month, because we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the ADA. As part of my journey, I wanted you to know that I was 25 years old when I broke my neck body surfing at Condado Beach in Puerto Rico. Despite my injury, I've never been unemployed in about 40 years. I've held full-time jobs for two great companies, and I'm happy uh, to be here today. I'm also, believe it or not, uh, married uh, to my wife, Maggie, of 32 years, and we have two children, Danielle and Jimmy, and two granddaughters. Uh, We also have a wedding coming up uh, for my son uh, next year. And so this is a very exciting time for us as a family, but I, I want you to know that we share experiences with all of you and as able-bodied people share experiences. And, and this is a key point in terms of about uh, disability inclusion. But now a little bit about the times we're in. We are going through some unusual times with COVID-19 as well as uh, the issue of racism in this, in this country and probably around the world. We all know there's a huge impact on people with disabilities on top of the challenges we face daily. You know, we're, we're, we're stuck at home. We're trying to get to work. Transportation is a burden. Uh, working from home is difficult, but not impossible. But at the same time, we see some silver uh, linings here. A few weeks ago, we reached out to our nonprofit disability partners by segment. We contacted the blind, the deaf, the mobility impaired, um, the Association for People with Disabilities, and a number of other folks to get their view on what has COVID uh, done for them in terms of resilience and what has hurt this community. And including the American Council of the Blind, we got your feedback. And let me share with you what we've learned from you and a few other people. And and before I do that, I want you to know that the firm did this because they want to know the impact on our customers, our, on our employees, in terms of what's worked, what hasn't worked, and are there opportunities uh, through COVID where we could help our disabled people going in the future. So a lot of folks came back, talked about new forms of discrimination. Managers might be reluctant to hire someone with a health condition uh, who may have a greater uh, risk of COVID-19 and then not be able to work and maybe drive up their medical costs. We all know this is a a benchmark in terms of the industry where where because we're disabled, people look at us as medical magnets, like always try, always sick, can't get to work, things like that. But you and I know that these are are myths. 
Secondly, we heard about personnel, medical care, uh, medical support, you know, the lack of getting therapy, home health aids, doctor visits, getting groceries is seriously curtailed. And the cost of care, again, become a factor. How do we get people into work if the subways are not working or the buses are not working or we're surrounded by protests? So all these things uh, affect us more than they would affect able-bodied people. The third point I want to talk about is accessibility issues. Many people with disabilities lack access to broadband, internet, and may not have the tech devices to for the support that they need to get to work or do work at home. Uh, that's become a huge factor for people with disabilities as they try uh, to get to work or work from home as best they could. Again, many people with disabilities rely on public transportation systems, which now offer limited service and represent an exposure risk. Transportation remains a difficult issue for the blind community as well, particularly during COVID. And, and you know it as well as I do, transportation has been a bane for people with disabilities over the last 30 years. One bright spot that you the American Council of the Blind told us about was that changes created by the pandemic pandemic can open a significant door for people with disabilities. What we found at Chase was that our work from home program, as we move people out of the office and into their homes with enhanced bandwidth from our company's technology has worked very well. Attendance was better, people are online longer, uh, people are available, and people have been committed to to work. And I, I guess this is the silver lining as a result of COVID, COVID, because people were probably more able to work up earlier, you know, go to bed later, but get the work done without skipping a beat. So I think that that was very important. With that, I'd like to share a little about our work at J.P. Morgan Chase. So we're f closely following these issues with COVID and people with disabilities because we want to recruit, hire, and promote our people uh, in the business, but also to leadership positions. We want more people with disabilities at our company. And I want to make this very clear, and some of you may have heard this from me before, we don't hire people because they're disabled. We hire them because they're qualified to do the job here. We recruit them as we recruit able-bodied people. We look at their bios as they're applied through our websites. Our recruiters talk to them and interview them, and we make accommodations for them when we want our, our candidates to come in and talk to our managers as they look for jobs here. One of the, the great uh, pleasures of mine is that just this month, uh, I am in my fourth year at the firm. I was hired in the firm in June 2016 in order to bring about change when it comes to people with disabilities. And as some of you know, our strategy is very simple and it focuses, focuses on the four A's, A's as in Apple. So the first A is attitude. What is your approach and acceptance by others in terms of bringing qualified people into the firm to work here? So what we had to do when we, when we put this model together, um, we had to figure out 
how to bring people with disabilities into the business and not make other people feel sorry for us. We had to make it clear to managers looking to hire people with disabilities that they, they are here, you are here as a disabled individual, as a qualified disabled individual, because you have the talent to be here. And what we did at the very beginning our chairman signed a firm-wide policy letter. And so we had support from the top. And the letter was written more for managers than it was for employees because we wanted to empower our managers to hire people with disabilities without looking over their shoulders. Many managers are skittish about hiring a, a person with a disability because they are not sure if they can do the job or if they can do the job as well as an able-bodied person. I can tell you from my 30 plus years of experience of being a quadriplegic, the answer is yes, we can. We can do the job as well as anybody else does, as long as we have the tools and the accommodations we need. And that goes for people who are able-bodied as well. People cannot do the job uh, across the board if they are not supported. Secondly, um, we look at our employee engagement. And this is one of my favorite statistics when I talk about this. As we promote disability inclusion worldwide to our, our bank, Chase Manhattan Bank around the world, um, we have about 250,000 employees in our company. And given our communications approach to this, we talk about this all the time in terms of how do we change the culture. Uh, during the four years, since we started this program, we've hit last year in 2019, 300,000 uh, readers have read our articles on disability inclusion. Now, I know we don't have 300,000 people with disabilities, but this is telling because people are writing our stories about success, about um, how to get ahead, about people doing the jobs who are disabled as our able-bodied people do, working hand in glove with them to get things done. That's a significant achievement, and our executives are telling us that we are indeed changing the culture. So when we talk about accessibility, which is the second A of the four A's, we talk about technology. And the beauty of this is that we have a 30,000-plus technology organization that's working with the firm to make our accessibility as seamless as possible. What that means is we have an accessibility team we put in place that started four years ago, working on ensuring that everything we do is accessible to our blind and our deaf employees who need access to that technology. And I'll tell you a little bit more about CART services in a minute. But right now, our teams are working on the top 25 enterprise applications so that we ensure that people who need to use our systems can get to work on our systems, not only for jobs, but when they put in expenses, when they, when they require education and training, we make sure that our folks around the world have the tools they need. And in a, in a minute, I'll talk to you about some of our CART services that we're doing as well, which is part of accessibility. The second point is that we have a Chase Accessibility Service team for our customers, and they do everything on the outside for customers, similar to what we're doing on the inside. We also um, designated a H Street branch office in Washington, D.C. last year uh, that opened that was deaf-friendly. 
meaning deaf people can come in and get serviced by our bankers uh, who do sign language, or we have the technology uh, and we have Braille on our systems. All this kind of all this kind of technology to help our deaf and blind people, as well as wheelchair riders, have the access to banks the way everybody else does. And we're looking to expand that concept around the country as we get you know, more fully involved with this. What was beautiful about our uh, Chase Accessibility Services is that we worked with Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C. to help us put this together. And we are putting some bank branches or uh, terminals near the Gallaudet University so our deaf colleagues there could use our services as well as anybody else. Accommodations is also a big uh, plus when it comes to our folks with disabilities. We have an accessibility team that's called My Accessibility Hub, which provides white glove treatment in the United States and the Philippines to our people with disabilities. These folks deliver uh, technology to people, screen readers, et cetera, including the ability to deliver captioning to people around the world. We are also going global uh, we're doing it right now, but it's not formal. It's informal, but it's working out. Finally, uh, on this part, we have an internal sign language interpreter team, CART services, for CART and, and live closed captioning just about worldwide. So we don't have people around the world doing this, but uh, we have the ability to go worldwide. This year, our CART captioning team serviced 209 employees regarding uh, their needs for interpretation. Secondly, we, have, we would bring in sign language interpretation. We had 172 cases fulfilled with that. We forecast that CART services for the remainder of the year will hit 330 people. The last A is assimilation which means how do you bring your folks into a culture of equity and equality in terms of the work we do? So we have people on the autism spectrum at work with more than 180 employees now in nearly 40 countries worldwide. We've hired people who are intellectually and developmentally disabled, and we called our business solutions team or BEST, and we're bringing in up to 500 of those folks to help us in real jobs uh, over the next five years. So we've really expanded our pro purview for people that can help our company achieve our goals. And let me tell you, they get the same pay scale as everybody else did, does depending on their jobs. We also have a, a program called This Is Me, which allows people with mental illness to talk about their illness and gain a better understanding of how the firm feels about them and how we feel about our colleagues that are working hard uh, through these disabilities. And, and believe it or not, these people are in real jobs doing real work, um, and we're very proud of them. Now, the message I want to leave with you as I close is that more work is needed to assimilate people with disabilities into leadership positions. We've all worked over the last 30 years just to help people get employed, but it's time to look at people with disabilities as leaders. We've made a lot of headway in 30 years, and in fact, accessibility is now the basic cost of entry. It's assumed 
that accessibility and assimilation and accommodations are here. But we need to do the same thing with leadership. People with disabilities have the same skill sets and qualifications as able-bodied people do. But often, our able-bodied colleagues can't see past the disability, the appearances. So we have to change the status quo and make this era in our common history a better place for future generations. So you may ask, but how do you do that? Well, it starts with you. You as leaders, because we're all here today talking about leadership and disability inclusion, you've got to view yourself and your organization as a builder of leaders, as well as advocating and deliver services to your community. Remember, if you're not confident in your skills and abilities, that's how others will, will view you and the people you're trying to help. And I know you think of yourselves as leaders, but you've got to spread that word. As an organization, you have to build your network, build meaningful partnerships, lead your constituency group into the future with a leadership mindset. You've got to do more than just help. You've got to groom leaders right from the beginning. And that's how we break down these barriers by illustrating the way forward for those like us and others not like us. Our opportunity is now. So I'll, I'll leave this with you. You have to believe in your leadership qualities to create leaders and to be viewed as leaders. Now all you have to do is make it happen. Thank you for giving me the time to talk to you, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Jim. What an inspirational voice sharing an organization, J.P. Morgan Chase, that is really practicing disability inclusion. And I have to also just give a general shout out, shout out to J.P. Morgan Chase and what a wonderful partner they have been with us over the last five plus years. They have not only sponsored our convention and our D.C. leadership conference, they also provide funding for our J.P. Morgan Leadership Fellows each year. They have provided scholarships for our next generation, funded our strategic plan in the formation of our ACB Advisory Board. Jim, you are truly a partner with ACB, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Next, we are going to hear from an, an Emerald sponsor presentation from Charter Communications. You may know them as Spectrum. And we today are going to hear for the, from the Senior Manager of the Center of Accessibility and in Excellence, hailing from Denver, Colorado, Peter Kucherayi. So, Peter, love to hear from you. Thank you, sir. I am Peter Kucherayi, Senior Manager of Outreach for the Accessibility Team at Spectrum. And I'm delighted to be back here with you all for the ACB National Convention. I'm really proud of the partnership with Spectrum and ACB have cultivated over the last several years. And we owe a debt of gratitude in part to the valuable feedback that we've gathered from the community that definitely shows in our product designs and the user experience. It's this partnership coupled with an accessibility team of experts, many of whom are blind and visually impaired themselves, that sets us up for successful outcomes for years to come. I'm also really excited to announce that this year we've kicked off a new accessibility innovation team 
that's already been hard at work producing results. I think you're going to love what we've got to share. But let's start with some of the products that you might already be familiar with. Last year, we announced a Spectrum Guide with Guide Narration was available to the entire market. Many of you who are using a Roku to access Spectrum TV switched over immediately, and you've already shared with us how much you love your new experience. Now, if you enjoy Roku with Spectrum TV, you can continue to do so, but I encourage you to explore Spectrum Guide with Guide Narration. Here's a number you can call to reach our accessibility customer support line to get set up with your new Spectrum Guide. 1-844-762-1301. And be sure to mention that you're blind or visually impaired so that they can set you up with a free install. Now, if you're using Spectrum TV on Apple TV or your mobile devices, you can continue to do so utilizing the accessibility features of those devices. Spectrum Mobile, of course, continues to go strong with an account management app that was built and designed with accessibility in mind. And the prices are outstanding. So check out Spectrum Mobile today as well. Now, audio description and closed captioning are terms no doubt familiar to all of you. And I'm certain that you're familiar with the gaps that exist across the industry with audio description. We certainly have been at Spectrum and we've been working diligently to come up with a solution that we can bring to the market. I'm so thrilled to announce the rollout of Spectrum Access. Spectrum Access is an app that contains a library of audio description and closed captioning files that you can enjoy alongside your entertainment experience. Here's how it works. As you're watching a movie or show, launch your Spectrum Access app and tap the sync button on your screen. The application will use your device's microphone to identify the position you are in the film or movie and it will perfectly synchronize the audio description track with your movie, and you'll be able to enjoy that content within seconds. She stops and looks through a large window overlooking the NICU. It's just as easy as that. I'm so excited about what this means for us in the blind community and the future of access to entertainment. I hope you visit our Spectrum Exhibitor video to learn more information about Spectrum Access and other products and services. Thank you all for tuning in. And I hope that I see you all in person next year at the 2021 ACB convention. Thank you, Peter, for those wonderful words from Charter Communications. I like to call them Spectrum. And that's because I'm a Spectrum customer. And I want to send a thank you to Peter and his team for how hard they've worked over the past few years to make their products accessible for our blind and visually impaired community. Next, it's time for us to take a moment and remember our ACB Angels through our ACB Angels tribute. Today, I would like to introduce our newest member of our ACB staff, Anthony Corona, our ACB intern from Miami Beach, Florida, who will introduce the testimonials of our two angels for today. Anthony? Hello again, conventioners. I am here with Sally Benjamin, who's going to tell us about another one of our angels. Hi, Sally. Hi. Today, I'm going to tell you about Joel Bauer. He was a member of the Florida Council of the Blind. He was born in 1943 
and he died in April of 2018. And um, Joel was an amazing man. He um, was very active in the Venice chapter of the Florida Council of the Blind. Joel was a facilitator for three support groups, and one in Northport and Inglewood and in Venice under the auspices of the Lighthouse, Minnesota Lighthouse. Um, he was on the Sarasota County Election Board, and he was um, instrumental in seeing that they they got the state-of-the-art system so blind and disabled voters to vote could vote independently. He um, cared about voters being independent very much. Joel, uh, he had he had um, also interpersonal skills that were just amazing. He he loved people. He never has hesitated to take on responsibility, even though it might mean long hours of riding on paratransit. It, it didn't matter. He did it. He took it on. Despite the many hardships Joel faced since he became blind and a paraplegic, he continued to always be enthusiastic and support to those coping with bl blindness. He was also very kind, compassionate, compassionate, loving man who loved this chapter and loved his community. Joel will be missed greatly. Um, I had the pleasure of knowing him over the phone when I worked for Florida Council of the Blind, and he was always a very kind but quiet-spirited man who really, really cared about um, blindness issues. He um, became blind when someone broke in his house, shot him in the eye, and then when he fell, shot him in the back and left him. And um, so he became blind and a paraplegic um, through that. And he was 43 when this happened. So he was not young, but he was one of the youngest members of the Venice chapter, and they all loved him very much. Well, conventioners, I am here with Danette Dixon, and she's going to tell us about another one of this year's angels. Hi, Danette. Hi there. See, I'm going to tell you about Dee Clayton. Dee was very friendly, easy to talk to, had a contagious, very contagious laugh. I am involved with ACBDA because of Dee. Dee, when, if Dee thinks you could do something, she would keep bugging you until you decided that you would try it and come to find out she was right. I am vice president of American Council of the Blind Diabetics, and I'm there because of Dee, because of her encouragement. Sounds like an amazing lady and full of a lot of ACB encouragement. What's your favorite memory of her? My favorite memory would be when she had asked me to be American Council of the Blind Diabetics alternate delegate last year to go to Rochester. Wow. And what do you think she'll be most remembered for? She will be most remembered for, she considered American Council of Blind Diabetics in action. That was her baby. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for telling us about D today. And I hope you are enjoying convention to its fullest. Thank you, Joe and D, for all your service to ACB. And you are most definitely deserving to be on the ACB Angels Wall. Next, we are going to recognize a special ACB affiliate that was part of our roll call, but somehow fell through the the verbial technical cracks. And today, we would like to hear the roll call message from our Ivy affiliate. Please listen. Business owners, but we also have a few members that are just interested in business ownership. I'd like to encourage you all to check the Ivy website at ivy-acb.org to find out more about us. We'd love to see you on board. My name is Artis Basin, and I'm the current president. Thank you. And a shout out to Artis and Carl and team and the Ivy affiliate. We're glad you're here, and we're glad you're strong and part of the American Council of the Blind. It's now my pleasure to introduce to you the ACB Officer of the Day, our ACB Second Vice President from Glen Ellen, Illinois, Ray Campbell. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, ACB. I'm real happy to uh, be here today. Well, that was a quick trip from Orlando to Glen Ellen. That was was really fast. Our arms aren't even tired. <laughs> okay, um, let's check my time here and make sure we're... we're Ah, we're actually five minutes ahead, which is great. Um, the other thing I want to tell all of you this morning before we get our first presentation underway here is that even with all this great technology, I am using a set of Braille cue cards as I hold them up towards the camera. Um, so uh, I'm actually using Braille this morning, and I'm very proud to be doing that. All right. Um, <clears throat> this morning, yesterday or Sunday evening, Dan talked with us about the programs and services that ACB has uh, broken kind of things into. And um, yesterday we heard from our membership services and the great work that they're doing. Today you're going to get to hear from another committee. And our next presenter is going to erp out all kinds of good information about the ERPS committee, information referral and peer support. Before I hand it over to Claire Stanley, who will do the presentation this morning, uh, just like to remind you that if you do have questions for Claire, she will be taking them if we have time. You can send those to questions at acb.org. Please put your city and state and your question in the body of your message. In the subject, put something like question for Claire so that Janet can more easily find them. And so without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to turn the podium over for a while to talk about the Information Referral and Peer Supporter ERPS Committee to our Advocacy and Outreach Specialist, Claire Stanley. Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great convention so far. Um, I miss being around everybody. Um, I'm loving what we're doing virtually. It's been been such a great process so far, but nothing can take the place of meeting in person. So sending lots of virtual hugs to all of our ACB friends. Um, great. So we are going to talk about one of our new steering committees that we've been working on for about a year now, maybe a little bit less, and that is the Information Referral and Peer Support, or as uh, what Ray said, I like to affectionately call the ERPS Committee. No, I didn't just burp. It's the ERPS Committee. Um, so ERPS is made up of two different components. 
it spells IRPS. So first we have the IR, the information referral, and the second we have the PS, the peer support. So I'm going to go through these um, both separately, the first column and then the second column, talk a little bit what talk a little bit about what they mean, what they look like, the definitions, and then kind of our plan of action as we move forward. It is a new steering committee, so we're still in kind of the infancy of planning. But I'm so happy to say that I have great people I'm working with on these. Uh, Ray Campbell being one of them. Uh, Doug Powell, shout out to you as well. Um, many of our um, special interest affiliates are different committees. So shout out to all the great people I'm working with. Um, so I'll go ahead and jump in and talk about the definition and then some of the, the ideas and things we're working on as I go through these definitions. So first we have the information referral or IR, and that's kind of just what it sounds like. So I often like to use the word data or fact-based with information referral. So we get literally thousands of calls every month here in the ACB office from people who are looking for different resources um, related to blindness. So maybe they've just lost their sight and they need to be connected with their state services. Um, maybe they're looking for technology. We get a lot of people who are looking for eyeglasses or things like that. So I call those the fact-based things that people are looking for. So that's the information referral, the fact-based thing. Um, so because of that, we're trying to put together... Um, I use the word database a lot because it sounds fancy. We're trying to put together a database of information so that when people call, we don't have to frantically Google to find the answer. We are happy to Google but how much more efficient would it be if we had those answers right there at our fingertips? And then we could then share that information with our affiliates as well. Sharon Lovering, shout out to Sharon. She has done a great job answering a lot of these calls for years now. So she's actually developed some of her own cheat sheets, as she calls them already. So we're taking those cheat sheets and uh, integrating those into our database as well. Um, so thank you for all your hard work, Sharon. But we're going to go above and beyond that. What we did, one of our first things was create uh, a list of what I call the 20 commonly most asked questions. So those are the things that people like me and Sharon and Kelly and all the people who answer the phones, they're the most commonly asked questions. And they're probably things you think about like, I just lost my vision. Where do I get help from? Or I need a new white cane or I need assistive technology. So we've identified those 20 questions. And based off of those 20 questions, we're trying to collect all the data from all over the U.S. on where people can go to get those resources. Um, so right now, it's kind of just a, I'll use the word vomit endearingly, a vomit of information. And we're trying to put that all together in a cohesive way so that when people call, again, we don't have to frantically Google, but that we can have that right there. Um, so we're combing through all the resources. One thing that we are recognizing, though, and again, it is in its infancy, so we're going through the growing pains and uh, learning how to do it is that we want to make sure that the information is kept up to date. It's really easy to create a list of information, put it in a file somewhere, and then two years later have the same list. But we realize that phone numbers and emails and things like that are constantly changing. So one of the things our steering committee is doing is developing some kind of process to whether it's on a monthly basis or every two months, there's some kind of reasonable and appropriate time frame to constantly update the information so that when we give people information, it's effective and reliable and we can feel confident in what we're giving them. Now, right now, our list is more like just big computer files with all the information. 
I'm just putting this out there. We've talked to Dan about it. Ideally, one day we'd love for it to be something a little bit more technical, something more computerized where you can just do, 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 do. I'm doing a air typing right now. Uh, you can put in what you're looking for and it'll pop right out. Of course, that's long, you know, long-term frame. Um, who knows when we'll get there, if we can get there. But that's kind of the ideal is that it's something very quick and effective. When it comes to putting together these resources, we, of course, want to work closely with the affiliates. And just to let you guys know, affiliates, you are some of our resources. If someone calls and says, you know, I live in the state of Oklahoma and I need assistive tech, one of our resources is that, that we're going to refer people to is the ACB Oklahoma affiliate. So you guys are part of our referral system. One thing, um, the last thing I'll talk about with the information side before I go on to peer support, and this will come up with peer support as well, is that when we provide information referrals, we want accountability. I'm going to use the big fancy word, accountability. We want to make sure that when we provide resources to people, we know that they're getting out there and that we want to develop a process where we even check in two weeks later, a month later, whatever we determine is the important time frame to make sure that that information was helpful and that people used it. And then again, going back to the idea of checking in on the timeliness of the data, you know, is that phone number still working? Because heaven forbid, we give someone a phone number, they call, it doesn't work. No one ever calls them back. And then they just kind of say, well, I tried and nothing happens. That's not what we want happen. We want to know that ACB is giving out helpful and useful and timely information so that people can get the resources they need, get the assistance they need. So that's the IR of ERPS, the information referral portion. So second is the peer support or the PS. And just before I jump into peer support, these two really build on each other. Like I said, the information referral is more fact-based, whereas I'm going to talk about the peer support is a little more personal-based, but they really build off of each other. You can give somebody the phone number or the email address under information referral, but that can then start to bleed into peer support. So what's peer support? Well, as the word peer implies, we want to literally connect people who call to real live human beings who can assist them. Um, we all know what it's like to, when you first lose your vision, maybe you want to meet other people in the same boat. Um, for our students, we do it all the time with ACB students. When you're starting college, as somebody who's blind or visually impaired, you're a little bit nervous, you want to meet other students who have been through it, that's peer support. We're already doing it in certain extents through our different affiliates. So that's what we really want to um, work on and support and hope grow that we can have that real peer support within ACB. I know for me, when I was a scholarship winner years ago and I got involved with ACB students, that was a great way to have peer support. You know, what do I do with my new textbooks? That kind of thing. Um, so that's just an extension now. ERPS is just an extension of what we've already been doing. Um, again, we want an accountability process so that when we connect somebody, so what if someone calls and says, hey, I live in Orlando, Florida, and I just lost my sight and I really need some help. And I say, I know the perfect person. His name is Dan Spoon. You guys are going to hit it off. He'll give you all the answers. And I email Dan and I say, hey, Dan, can you talk to this person? And Dan, being the awesome person that he is, says, of course I will. Well, what happens in a month if that person calls me back and says, Dan never called me? <gasps> I'm going to call Dan up and say, Dan, what are you doing? Now, of course, we know that would never happen. Dan's amazing. But 
hypothetically, if that was going to happen, that's why we have the accountability process built into peer support. So potentially two weeks after I make the referral, I'll shoot Dan an email and say, Hey, Dan, did you meet up with his or her name? Because I want to make sure that they get the peer support they need. Um, So that's where the accountability comes in. To make these peer support recommendations, we're first starting in ERPS with the affiliates and committees that compose the ERPS steering committee. And a lot of those are kind of um, interest-based affiliates and committees. So it's made up of groups like ACB Women, um, SASE, uh, BPI, um, several others. So with those groups, we're bringing together uh, groups of people who can really provide those peer supports. And so in order to get um, some of that peer support started, we're working with those committees and affiliates. And I'm currently nudging, I'm doing an elbow nudge right now. I'm nudging some of those leaders to provide us with resources and names and phone numbers in Conga, the database side of the peer support is I'm building up an actual concrete list of people who are willing. So I might say, hey, ACB women, if a woman calls in the future and she wants to meet other blind women, who can I connect them with? And so we're going to have a real life phone number right there that we have right at our our fingertips to connect them. Now, of course, that can change. That can evolve. That's okay. But we want to have those referrals. Another thing that we are trying to do under the peer support Now, because we're in its early stages, although this is something that can forever evolve and grow and change, but in its early stages with peer support, we're trying to identify some of the more commonly identified groups of people or areas of a need that we're seeing to connect people with. So like I said, under information referral, we have the 20 most commonly asked questions. So this is kind of the um, equivalent of that on the peer support side is what are some of the most commonly requested groups of people that we might want to be able to identify to quickly have phone numbers available for people? So maybe we're going to identify a woman. Maybe we're going to identify someone from the LGBT community. Maybe we're going to identify parents because, you know, new blind parents might be calling. Maybe we're going to identify students. Again, shout out to ACB students. So in its early stages right now, we're identifying those categories of people that peer support would be especially helpful for. So right now, kind of like I talked about with information referral, I'm kind of swimming in a lot of different ideas, but I would love to hear from you guys. So feel free on, I'm calling it the two sides of peer support. One, if you have categories of areas that you think peer support is needed. So whether it be students, employees, athletes, um, siblings, et cetera, et cetera, feel free to shoot me ideas via email. I'll give you my email in a second. And then on the other side, if you uh, feel like you could actually be the peer support for one of these areas or a new area, let me know. I'd love it. You know, love to hear it. Um, I always like to volunteer my colleague Clark Rockfall um, because I love to give them more work. Uh, no, I like to... Um, volunteer for uh, the athletic part because I'm not an athlete, but he is. So if somebody calls in and says they want to know about um, accessible athletic programs and sports, I'm going to say, hey, let's put Clark down in the database as an athlete in the blind community. So if you think you know of someone else, and of course, ask their permission, we'll get consent. Um, or if you yourself think you fall into a category and you say, hey, I'd be a great attorney for law students who are blind, um, let me know as well. So you can send me those ideas 
for those people at my email address at cstanley at acb.org. And again, we're really in the infancy of taking all that data and swimming through it, but that's okay. I love swimming through it. So feel free to email me whatever you like. And again, we really want to work with affiliates um, because you guys are already kind of the uh, default groups who fit a lot of these characteristics, especially our special interest affiliates. You know, we have people who fit into these categories already. So we really hope to work closely with the uh, special interest affiliates and of course the state-based affiliates as well. Um, and then just to, to emphasize again, we would hope to get this in some kind of computerized database eventually. But right now we're just making pretty files that are totally usable by all of us. And that's, that's great. Um, and again, we need to keep this list up to date. I hate to put somebody down the list on the list as a student referral. And five years later, we give it out and the person says, well, I'm not a student anymore. Or, you know, heaven forbid someone leaves ACB or passes or all kinds of different scenarios. So uh, we're going to make sure that we keep a close eye on this list as well and keep it up to date. So that's a little bit about ERPS. So again, we have the information referral and peer support, the two sides, the two pillars. I'll call them the two pillars of ERPS. First, more fact-based referrals. So phone numbers, emails, addresses, that kind of thing. And then peer support, really putting people who are in need, who have questions with the real-life person who has lived that experience and can provide some kind of um, support or peer support for that person. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, what ERPS is, and I'd be happy to answer any questions that people have about ERPS. And if you don't have questions right now, you can always email me as well, again, at cstanley at acb.org. Okay. Thank you, Claire. Um, very good information. We've got lots of, we've got lots of time. So, I do have uh, one question, Mr. Okay. Before I, before I hand it to you there, Janet, um, uh, boy, we're talking about herbs and vomit. Let's not keep it up, Chuck. <laughs> and uh, and let's um, yeah, no, let's let's yeah, let's not say we did. Um, the other thing I was just going to mention uh, that I really believe also the community calls are a, a way of providing some good peer support as well. And I think Cindy would certainly agree with that, and Definitely. I think Claire would as well. Um, and uh, just to say, it really does work. Uh, last summer, uh, Karen had a situation that she needed some help with, went to ACB, got the assistance that she needed, and it was uh, taken care of. Over to you, Janet. You have a question? And you you kind of stole my question there, Ray. Um, our president actually called me, and I said, what are you calling me for? No, and he, he wanted to know how peer support was going would interact with the community chats and the community channel. Yeah, and another great thing that um, we can do with the community um, events that we have is as we start to see trends and questions that come up for peer support, we can then um, coordinate with Cindy to put on more community events that identify those issues. So, for instance, during COVID, we definitely started to see some patterns of issues that were coming in because COVID impacted all of us obviously in different ways, but also in similar ways. And so we started putting on some uh, community events to help people do, uh, through COVID. So the same thing, if we start to see patterns of questions that come through the office that we would generally um, connect people through peer support, we'll still, of course, connect them via peer support. But we can also say, hey, we're seeing this trend. Let's put together a community event to bring together 
students or parents or insert here. I mean, there can be so many different things. So that's the great, um, the great opportunity we, we have is to work with Cindy and community events as well to bring people together. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, any other questions, Janet? I don't have any other questions at this moment. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, um, so again, if any of you do have questions after today's program, you can contact Claire. Again, her email address is cstanley, C-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y at acb.org. And certainly like to encourage any of you who feel that uh, you, you have uh, information that uh, you can uh, refer. Oh, my goodness. I forgot they're testing our sirens out here this morning. <laughs> no, they're not coming after me. Um, if you have things you can offer, or again, like Claire said, if you feel like you could be a, a peer support person for someone, for, for some issue or whatever, please uh, reach out to her, and I'm sure she would very much appreciate that as well. All right. We'd love thoughts and ideas from everybody on what's important because I'm only one person with my own lived experience as far as what issues are important to cover. Um, so I only know what it's like to be me, who, uh, as a woman who lives in my geographic area, who's lived my life, I don't know what it's like for other, you know, situations, other genders, other ethnicities, other geographic locations, insert a million other variables yeah. here. So that's why we want to hear from you guys because you have other lived experiences that you can say, hey, I'd really like support for in this area. Yeah. Um, things that I'm not intentionally leaving out, but I just don't know. So that's why we want to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh. uh, Janet, did we get and any I, more questions? I, I just checked and there were no other questions other than someone wanting to know how to spell Claire's last name so they could send her an email, but you already just covered that. So. All right. All right. No problem. Maybe just do it one more time. It's C okay. Dan. Go ahead, Claire. Why don't you do it? Oh, yeah. It is uh, my first name starts with a C for Claire. So C. Then Stanley, S-T-A-N is in Nancy, L-E-Y at acb.org. And you can always find me on our webpage as well, or just call the national office and I'm here. So. Yep. And uh, she does return her phone calls. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, before we go to our next presentation, we're running a little ahead of schedule here. Uh, I wanted to share just a little story with you this morning. So, um, you know, our president, Dan Spoon, he's pretty well-traveled. And so, you know, he he took a trip recently out to the desert uh, and you know, maybe in Arizona. I don't know where he was, but he was out in the desert and he's walking around. And he's carrying this car door with him. He's carried a car door with him. And this native winds up on a camel and says, uh, sir, he says, why are you carrying that car door? He had his white cane in his right hand and his car door in his left hand. And Dan says, well, you know, if it gets too hot, I'll just roll down the window. And so uh, that's, that's our, that, that's our, <laughs> yes. Would you okay. like a door prize, Mr. Uh, Mr. Well, let, let, let's do, let's do that. Let's do it. After door that prize. story, I think we have to have a door prize. I think they're going to kick me off the air is what I think yeah, they're going to do. Go so. ahead, Janet. So, I'm going to make a couple people happy, and you just tell me when you want me to stop, Ray. Okay. Uh, we have a $25 Amazon gift certificate from Washington Council of the Blind, and that's going to Marie Alvarez of Texas. And I also have a $50 gift certificate from West Virginia, and that's going to go to Betty Bogus from Kentucky. 
You know, the, the one thing about this kind of convention format is we know that these people are going to get the door prizes, so we don't get to go, oh. <laughs> oh, I got, I got one more really good one. Well, they're all really good ones. Let's do it, yeah. One more. Okay, I, I had to look at this twice, and then I finally realized what, what I was reading. It's a high-ear, cool, wireless, active noise-canceling headphones. I hope I get this. By, donated by Bay State, and it's not going to you. It is going to Mandy Holly of South Carolina. All right. Good old, good old ACB Lion friend of mine, yep. Mandy Holly. How about that? Uh, Janet, do one more. Do one more? All yeah. right. I will do a uh, $25 Visa gift card from Illinois Council of the Blind. And you wonder who they are. Yeah, I don't know. And that's going to go to Gary Mudd of Kentucky. Right, from Illinois to Kentucky. Enjoy yep. that card, Gary. Okay, um, Janet, I'm going to have you stop I'm there. I'm going away. And, uh, yeah, well, don't go away, Matt. Just go away. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Um, all right, so uh, we are a little bit ahead schedule here, so uh, that's good. Uh, I'm going to turn the floor over now to our scholarship presenter of the day. We're going to hear from four more of our scholarship winners, great students. And to get us going on that presentation this morning, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a member of the scholarship committee from Kansas City, Missouri, Valerie Stannard. From Celebration, Florida. She's the winner of the R.I. Gillette, Gladys C. Anderson, and Karen D. Carsall Scholarship. Congratulations, Carmen. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with all of you and to be selected for a scholarship. Thank you. We're happy to have you. So tell us, where will you be attending school this fall? And what will your primary field of study be? So I'm very excited to announce that I'm going to be working towards getting two degrees from actually two different colleges starting this fall. So my primary degree will be from the University of Miami's Frost School of Music. I'm going to get a degree in music education. And I'm also going to study with Berkeley College of Music's online school. They have Berkeley online. And I'm going to get an interdisciplinary music studies degree from there as well. How exciting, how ambitious. And why have you chosen this field of study? What in your past has led you to this field? So I've always wanted to be a teacher. Ever since I was little and I was in elementary school, I was just fascinated by how my teachers um, were able to do everything they could to make the learning experience fun. And especially for me, since I had a low vision, they were able to enlarge everything and really treat me well during my school years. And especially in elementary school, there were these colorful handouts and things that just made the learning experience so much more enjoyable. And I knew right then and there that I wanted to do the same thing. And once I started learning music in middle school, I decided, why don't I just merge these two interests together? So that's when my path formed to doing music education. What a good idea. And, and from your life, what would you say that your greatest accomplishment has been thus far? Of course, you're going to have many more, but thus far. Yeah, thank you. Um, I would say that one of them is when I, uh, I was accepted this past summer to the Berkeley Global Jazz Institute Summer Workshop Program, where I was able to collaborate with 20 other jazz musicians and perform at the Newport Jazz Festival, which is a jazz festival in Rhode Island that is 
world's renowned and many people go to it and just to be able to perform on that stage and bring joy to so many people through music that's what really made my heart sparkle and it really made my day what an honor well we hope to see you back next year so that you can play with our um fia showcase band you'll you'll be great with that congratulations and thank you so much for joining us best of luck to you this fall Thank you so much. Next on the docket, we have Nicholas Spahn coming to us from Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Nicholas is the winner of the Kelly Cannon and the Paul and Ellen Ruck Scholarship. Good morning, Nicholas. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. Congratulations on winning this scholarship. It's quite an honor. Please tell our audience where you'll be attending school this fall and what your primary field of study will be. Thank you. Yes, I will be attending Penn State Harrisburg this fall, and my intended major of study is mechanical engineering. Great. And why have you chosen mechanical engineering? Is there anything in your past that helped lead you to this decision? So throughout school, I have always had an interest in math and science. And when I was in seventh grade, I took a tech ed class. And I just fell in love with engineering because I liked the idea of using math and science to solve problems and change the world. And I've always uh, had a passion to help others. So I thought um, using math and science would be a great way for me to kind of follow that passion that I have. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, And finally, what would you consider to be one of your greatest life's accomplishments? We know there are many more that you will come to over your life. But for right now, can you give us something that you've done? Yeah, I would say that um, my high school graduation is probably my biggest accomplishment. I know that may or may not sound like a lot to some people, but My vision impairment occurred right before the start of my ninth grade year. So I spent most of my ninth grade school year constantly adjusting to my vision. Um, Things just seemed to get worse and worse for most of my school year. And so going from uh, that to, you know, four years later, now graduating high school, I think that's a major accomplishment because I've... I've done a lot in the past four years and everyone, all my teachers and friends have told me how I've done so well. And so I really think that my high school graduation is my greatest accomplishment. After reading your your, um, application and going through a similar thing myself, I would totally agree with you. That is a fantastic accomplishment and you should be extremely proud of yourself. We're proud of you at ACB. And um, we're so honored to have you here. And we wish you the best of luck this fall as you go about becoming a mechanical engineer. We hope to hear from you and continue to follow your progress. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'd like to thank the American Council of the Blind for the scholarship. And I am uh, very excited for the opportunities that lie ahead with ACB and um, in my future. So thank you very much. You're so welcome and so deserving. Now coming to us from Longmont, Colorado, 
We have Tracy Jones. She is the winner of the Norma Schechter and the Dr. Dwayne Buckley Scholarship. Congratulations, Tracy. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. First, um, if you could tell us where you plan to attend school next fall and what your primary field of study is. I will be attending the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, um, the D.C. campus in Washington, D.C., but I will be virtual, um, so I will be staying in Longmont, Colorado, but I will be a technical on-ground campus student in Washington, D.C. Very cool. And, and I've my, read a my field of study is organizational leadership, which is a business psychology degree. Okay, very good. And I've read through your application, so I have a little bit more clue. But if you could educate our audience and tell them how it was that you chose this field of study and what, what in your past brought you to this. I originally started out with a desire to have a clinical psychology degree and career, um, but something along the line drove me to a more pa passionate route in the underpinnings of the way organizations work and how people work together within organizations. So what I like to do is look at how peer support specialists who are people who have lived experiences with mental health struggles work together in organizations to provide peer support for others who have struggles with mental health issues and how they go on to achieve certification in that field and then later on into leadership roles in those organizations. Wow, fascinating, fascinating. And what would you consider to be one of your greatest accomplishments? I know there are many, but... My greatest accomplishment by far is my daughter. Um, she's 27 years old, and she has two daughters of her own. They're four and one. And um, she has gone through her own life struggles. Um, she lost her dad. She lost a sister. Um, and she has just turned out to be a beautiful young woman and she's raising the most fascinating children that I have ever met in my life. And I am just so proud of her and her accomplishments. And I think that just speaks, speaks wonders for me because I know that it's been rough for her and she's had to deal with my own health struggles and she's come through it beautifully. So I'm just very proud of her, and that, I think, is my greatest accomplishment. As well you should be, and, and we're delighted for you, and we're so happy for you that you have a wonderful daughter, and we're proud of you for winning this scholarship. Thank Good you. luck to you, and keep in touch. Thank you so much. We have now our last recipient for today. Her name is Pamela Ritchie. She's coming to us from my neighbor to the north, Muscatine, Iowa. 
and she is the recipient of the John Hebner Scholarship. And congratulations, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're so, you're so, so welcome. We're so honored to have you with us this, um, this day. And if you could, um, I know with the Hebner Scholarship, the student must also be employed. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do? I am employed with the Illinois Iowa Center for Independent Living, and I am the blind services advocate. And I work with people uh, in a bi-state area of Illinois and Iowa teaching independent living skills such as Braille um, and uh, computer technology and uh, how to live a more independent life. That's, that's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. There's such a need for that these days. And yeah. so when you go back to school this fall, what will you be studying? Sure. I am pursuing uh, my master's degree in organizational leadership. Um, it is under the business uh, umbrella. And uh, I am attending St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. And is there something in your past that, that has led up to this choice to go ahead and get your master's? I've always wanted uh, to attain my master's degree. However, I saw that it was more important now than ever before, um, which led me to pursue my uh, master's in organizational leadership. Being... Um, Working with people with disabilities primarily as my title uh, uh, with blind individuals, um, it was ever more important that we just have good, strong leadership in advocating for people who are blind. That is the truth. <laughs> Definitely. We're happy to have you doing this. And Thank you. What, would, what would you tell us is would you consider to be one of your greatest accomplishments? I'm sure that you've got a lot of them, but um, if you could just tell us about one, we would really appreciate that. Sure, you betcha. Um, I feel really right now that I am living my greatest life. Um, I believe that I am working uh, with people uh, who need the services, who need the leadership, um, who need an advocate to help them um, to work with the public, work in the community, and to become more independent and strong in their personal lives and help them achieve their goals, whatever their goals may be. Um, and so that's my proudest accomplishment um, in working with blind individuals. And you are such an, an awesome role model. Let me Thank repeat you. that again. Thank you. You, you are such an awesome role model. We are so pleased to have you be a part of ACB and to win this scholarship. We're just very excited to have you amongst us. Thank you. I am totally honored to be um, a winner of the uh, recipient of uh, the scholarship award. Um, and I thank uh, the, the scholarship committee. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. So I'm very proud. Thank you so much for all that you do uh, where you work in the two states that you work for. And we certainly hope to see you spread your wings and bring your leadership to um, other states and more people and ACB in general. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone so much for welcoming our ACB scholarship members of today. 
and tomorrow you will meet even more of them. Thank you, sir. Um, this, is, this is great. It's like I have a producer in my ear. It's great. Uh, kind of like radio. Um, all right. Um, uh, thank you, Valerie, for and to all of our scholarship winners. I always say this when I hear the scholarship presentations. You know, the, the future is bright, and uh, it certainly is uh, with this group of winners. And I don't know about all of you, but um, even when we go back to physical convention, I really kind of like hearing from a few of them each day as opposed to all of them at one time. But we'll just have to see how all that's going to work out in the future. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of things from that presentation. We're a little ahead of schedule here. Uh, first of all, the gal that was from Longmont, Colorado, Tracy, uh, studying organizational leadership, maybe a future leader of ACB there. And um, good to hear from uh, the yeah, nice young lady from Iowa, uh, somebody who worked in independent living for a few years. Uh, I know how important the work that is and how important it is to have people who are blind working for independent living centers. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Dan Spoon to join me here at the uh, virtual podium here, our president, and we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, uh, about something that you guys asked us to do last year that we are starting to work on. So, uh, Dan, how are you? Hey, Ray, I'm great. Uh, thanks for ha- giving us a couple minutes to chat today, and really wanted to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about our resolutions process. You know, unfortunately, we weren't able to have an official business meeting this year, but we're still able to participate with resolutions. And so, uh, thanks to our wonderful advocacy uh, director, Clark Rackful, we put together in our resolutions committee chaired by Gabe Griffith and, and Jill Noble, we have put together a resolutions process for 2020. And And that includes the ability for people to uh, reach out either through advocacy at acb.org or by contacting Gabe and Jill and providing them their resolution. Uh, We're going to keep that open until the convention ends on uh, midnight on the 10th of July on Friday. And in that resolution, just uh, provide your resolution. We'll get that from the advocacy email address to Gabe and Jill and team. Uh, The uh, Resolutions Committee will then uh, review each resolution and recommend an either do pass or do fail. That will then go over to our uh, ACB staff uh, to understand and clarify uh, the Resolutions Committee. And then they will be uh, presented to our ACB Board of Directors at our telephonic board meeting on August 27th, 2020 where the board will uh, understand the resolutions and then make a decision on whether they pass or fail. And then after with with a simple majority vote and for all those that then pass, uh, we will then set a priority uh, for implementation. So uh, this will give our, our committees, our affiliates an opportunity to continue to participate in the rich, rich tradition of ACB of doing our annual resolutions. So, and then, Ray, I wanted to hear a little bit from you because I know one of our resolutions last year at the convention was to take an opportunity to look at the resolutions process. And we had the opportunity at the board meeting on Friday uh, to nominate an ad hoc committee. And you, as the chair, as our second vice president of ACB, uh, with support as a, from a co chair from Mark Reichert, our first vice president. So, you could tell us a little bit about your thoughts on uh, 
the resolution on resolutions. <laughs> Be a further resolved, I will do that. Um, okay. Um, so, as Dan mentioned, um, we're, we're, we, we want to take a look at the resolutions process. Um, over the years, um, we, we know that sometimes the resolutions, they get kind of wordy and eyes are rolling and it's hard to understand just what we actually are voting on sometimes by the time you get through all of that. Um, you know, sometimes we have to have a lot of that background and the legalese stuff in there because of the, the, the folks that we are asking to do something or not to do something. But um, so the ad hoc committee that uh, we're putting together, as uh, Dan mentioned, uh, I'm going to be chairing that, uh, working with uh, Mark Reichert, our, sec- our first vice president, as my co-chair. And, uh, and then we'll be putting together that committee with uh, you know, Gabe and Jill uh, will be a part of that and you know, a few others. Um, we, um, my thoughts, and this certainly has not been vetted with the committee, are to kind of look at the resolutions process in a couple of different ways. Uh, submitting resolutions, how can we make that easier? How can we get that done earlier? So maybe resolutions committee can start working earlier than actually at convention, and maybe they won't have to stay up at least every night until 2 o'clock in the morning, um, like they sometimes do, often do. I, I've been there. I remember those days. Um, you, you can't party, which really cramps my style. Um, so there's that. Uh, the second thing is making sure that we're bringing forth resolutions to make sure that we're bringing things forward that people really can understand uh, what it is that they're voting on, why you know you know we're you know, we're we're threatened a certain way or whatever. Try to help people better understand the resolutions. And I think the third thing that uh, we want to look at, and I've heard this from people, is that we don't want to cram all the resolutions into the last day, and especially as we get later in the day of convention. And all of you know this, that a lot of people are leaving, and uh, so you've got a smaller segment of the population, that is, of the uh, convention, atten- convention attendees that are making uh, very important decisions about about uh, uh, policy of this organization. So that's kind of the three parts that I want to look at. If you have ideas for the resolutions process that you would like to, uh, the things that you think how it could be improved uh, <clears throat> in that, certainly welcome those. Uh, why don't you go ahead and... Uh, Send an email to advocacy at acb.org. That's advocacy at acb.org. And Clark and Claire can flush those ideas out, get them to our committee, and we can uh, start our work. Um, it is our goal to have something in place, um, have some something to recommend to the board, hopefully by the fall board meeting, which is going to take place virtually on the weekend of November 13th and 14th. And so hopefully that will be... Uh, uh, that will be able to be done. If you have questions about this or, like I said, any ideas that you have, certainly reach out to uh, uh, advocacy at acb.org and uh, we'll, we'll get those and I'd be certainly happy to try and answer those. But uh, look forward to this work. It's very important work. Resolutions are an extremely important part of what we do and and it's um, it, it really is uh, um it really has to be uh, something that we, 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 we need to take it very seriously, but we need to make it work maybe a little bit better for the organization. That's the message we heard loud and clear. We want to do that. So uh, 
we're about two minutes to break time. So before we go to break, I'm going to ask Dan to come back up to the podium and talk a couple minutes about the monthly monetary support program. So Dan. Thank you, Ray. And thank you for uh, your work uh, with the ad hoc resolutions committee with special shout out to Gabe and Jill and Clark and Claire. I know we'll, we'll end up with a very good solution. And thank you for giving me just a moment to talk about the monthly monetary support program. The MMS committee this year has really pushing for a goal of 321, 321 members of the monthly monetary support program. So for all of those uh, of you out there listening today, you know, we are in a situation at ACB where we all need to come together as members and do the best we can to help our organization. And one way you can do that is a simple donation of $10 or more each month to the American Council of the Blind. It's easy to do. That money can come out of either a credit card or your checking account. And you can split that money between uh, ACB and the affiliate of your choice, whether it be a special interest affiliate or a state affiliate. If you join this week, each day you'll be in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift card, which is a pretty good deal. And then in addition to that, you'll go into a grand prize drawing for a new iPhone 11. So again, if you could be a new member of the MMS program, our goal is to get 60 new members this weekend, guys, this week. I know we can do it. I talked to George and uh, and, and Gene and team yesterday, and we're, we're getting there. We're almost halfway there. So guys, please think about ACB. Think about the monthly monetary support program. Three, two, one, blast off a pathway to the future. And it means we need your support. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Dan. Um, and uh, again, that's for new members. Is that correct? It's not new. for people... New members, and, and, and if anybody who puts in an additional, raises their monthly contribution by $5, will also be in for the drawing and eligible for the uh, iPhone, the new iPhone. And just so I can give you that email where you can get in contact with them, it's askacbmms at gmail.com. So A-S-K-A-C-B-M-M-S at gmail.com. Great, great. And uh, I know uh, our affiliate uh, participates heavily in that as well with the split and everything. Okay, that gets us to break, guys. So uh, we will now be on break. So get up and you know work your way to wherever you need to go or do whatever you need to do out of your easy chairs or wherever. We'll be back at 11.45 Eastern Time. Till then, we are on break. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to be playing a sponsor presentation in just a moment in the time that we have on break. Hope you've been enjoying the coverage this morning. Excellent. I'm here with Tom Lukowski, Vice President of Accessibility with Comcast. Hi, Tom. Hi, Debbie. How are you doing? Great. It's so wonderful to have a chance to talk with you and to have you as one of our sponsors for our very first virtual ACB National right. Convention. Momentous occasion. Here we are. We're doing this virtual thing and we're featuring so much about accessibility. And here you are to talk about one of the leading providers of accessibility. Wow. Well, so. thanks. And we're, we're happy to be part of it. And 
always appreciate the work that we do and the partnership that we have with ACB. So this is a great day. It is a great day. Talk to us about what's happening with Comcast and accessibility these days. At this convention, different venues will be talking about our work in broadband and high-speed internet and an app that you can use called XFI, XFI, to manage your home network. So in the past, you used to have to navigate the website of your router, right? And that wasn't always as accessible as we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. And we want to make managing your home network very easy. And the way to do that, we found, is to develop an app available for both iOS and Android where you can sign in and control the devices that are on your network. You can even pause network uh, connectivity for devices. So there's a lot of parental controls, a lot of parents like that, pause the kids' uh, devices at dinner time or what have you, set limits. Um, mm-hmm. You can create profiles. So in my house, I have you know four or five, maybe six devices. seems I'm adding a device every week <laughs> these days <laughs> uh, under my profile. And that helps me manage it. You know, my son has some gaming consoles and computers and, you know, my wife generally just has the uh, iPhone or smartphone and she's content with that. And Mm -hmm. so her profile is is a lot, a lot smaller, but uh, in that profile, you, you can get at each device. You can, you know, get alerts when a new device comes onto your network. So if you've given somebody your network SSID and password and beyond all of this network management capability, you can you can measure speed uh, mm. from your device to a server. You can measure speed, you know, what we call speed tests, mm-hmm. from your gateway to the server, gateway being the router that we provide. Then beyond all of that, we're starting to bring in our smart home automation technology under X5. So Hmm. in mine, I have security cameras and I can bring up the uh, cameras in XFi. We'll, over the next couple of quarters, be adding thermostats and lighting controls. I've actually seen developer builds of that. Folks on my team are testing it now. So I can speak with a fairly high degree of confidence that we're going to be in good shape on this in a couple of quarters when it gets released. And you'll start to see these things come out over time. So I think that's the big news right now is XFi. You know, usually when we come to convention, we talk about video and video is still important, of course, but I am pretty excited about smart home. And this is one way to get it without paying any extra fee. You're not going to get 24 seven security with XFi, like you would with Xfinity Home or, or mm-hmm. you know, another security provider, but you will get the benefit to access home automation. I would say it is very accessible. I would say very accessible and increasingly accessible are good ways to describe XFi. We definitely want to bring lots more under the XFi umbrella. And whether it's our own thermostat or third-party thermostats. We have a works with Xfinity program. And so Yale door locks and Lutron light switches and other smart devices are supported 
The other piece that we have with this is a very easy way to, you know, uh, we have what we call X5 pods. These are little pods. They look like a pod that you plug into an electrical outlet and they help get a more consistent Wi-Fi signal throughout like your Like beacons? Almost yeah, like Yeah, almost beacons. like beacons. Yeah. yeah, that would be a way to look at it. Okay. And the setup of these pods is great because it uses Bluetooth. And that's how you, you know, you put your phone up against it when you're setting it up or within range of it, really. And, and, mm-hmm. and then because of Bluetooth being enabled, you know, you can name the pod, you know, so if you have it in your upstairs hallway, call it upstairs hall. Now you're hearing about where I have these configured. If it's in the living room, you call it living room, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. Mm-hmm. And then you can manage those through the XFi app as well. So you can check if one of those pods is offline. Maybe you're seeing some sort of discrepancy. You can see what devices are connected to, you know, what pod, if you really want to geek out and, mm-hmm. and manage your network. Uh, you know, that's probably not what everybody does, but mm-hmm. there are times I just yeah. open it up because I'm curious. Uh, I know that says a lot about me. You don't have to make any <laughs> comment there, Debbie. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, it can be fun too. How about with COVID? How has that changed things for you all? COVID, in my view, has really put an emphasis on the types of conversations we all have in the disability community about the importance of inclusion, Mm -hmm. Uh, because now everybody needs to be included. But I think in some ways, not that there's a silver lining in any of this, but if we want to try to make lemons Mm -hmm. out of lemonade to some degree, I think that it's, at least in the corporate world, heightened the importance of what it means to be inclusive and inclusive Mm -hmm. design. Now everyone needs people to identify themselves in a Zoom meeting because there's 50 people on a call and everybody's in this little miniature box and you don't always see who's speaking right away. That's the story for the rest of us that that are, you know, moving through everyday life. So for us with COVID on the customer side, it has caused us to accelerate what we call a digital first strategy. You may have run into situations where, you know, our technicians aren't able to come into the home for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, That's employee right. safety and customer safety. Sure. So we're, we're leaning in on what we call self-install, where we drop the package off. So if you wanted to get a new router or a new set-top box, you know, we would drop that on the porch or, or even it would be shipped to you and then you would install it. Now we realize that that's not going to work for everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we're, still able to get Texan homes when it's needed. Mm-hmm. But we also want to use this opportunity to say, look, how do we make self-install more inclusive for people with disabilities? And some of us, if we have the right information, perhaps if we can manage the install process through our smartphone, could be very successful at it. So in that view, it's really caused us to take a look since the company accelerated self-install. This was probably 18 months worth of work, Mm -hmm. transitioned into weeks worth of work because we had to. Now my team, we're looking at all the end-to-end flow of self-install and working with the product. We're not fully where we want to be there yet, but I think that's probably the most immediate impact from the customer-facing side out of COVID. The other piece I would mention with COVID is it has highlighted the importance of 
access to the internet. And mm-hmm. last year, we announced the expansion of our Internet Essentials program, which is an internet service for individuals on fixed incomes. And so you can go to internetessentials.com or you can call our dedicated support center for customers with disabilities at 855-270-0379. And if you feel you might be eligible, then take advantage of it. One caveat is you can't be an existing Xfinity customer to get into this program, but it has helped a lot of people. I think we've connected 8 million Americans since the program has been launched. So just wanted to put that out there. Is there anything I didn't ask that you want to make sure that we get in here? No, I just remind people to take advantage of XFI and, and some of this and certainly make sure you're utilizing our, our dedicated support center for customers with disabilities. Again, 855-270-0379, or you can send an email to accessibility at comcast.com. We do have Braille and large print bills available. There was a challenge that we had with people requesting Braille and large print channel lineups. That process is running more smoothly now. And if it isn't, I hope somebody will let me know so that I can Mm -hmm. reinsert myself into the conversation. Uh, It was taking us way too long to get channel lineups out. Some people weren't getting them in accessible format, even though they had requested them. We believe we are making our way through the backlog. So if you have ordered one in the past and you don't have it, please reach back out to our dedicated support center for customers with disabilities and we'll make sure we get it right this time. And we apologize for the inconvenience uh, that we've caused you in the past due to our inability to turn them around as, as quickly as, as one would expect us to be able to do. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, it has absolutely been a pleasure to be with you today. I'm proud of all that Comcast is doing and uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, Debbie, it's been great getting to know you a little bit, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing everybody in person next year. The ACB auction is the highlight of the conference and convention for many of us. But what will they do this year? Never fear, ACB's got it covered. Just grab your favorite beverages and snacks and settle into your easy chair. That's right, it's the easy chair auction, Tuesday, July 7th, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can attend via Zoom or listen on ACB Radio, wherever your easy chair happens to be. So get ready to support ACB and stay tuned for more details about auction items and how to bid. It's the ACB Easy Chair Auction, part of the 2020 ACB Virtual Conference and Convention, right here on ACB Radio. Join us for the virtual ACB Annual Convention from July 3rd through July 10th on ACB Radio and on Zoom. Start date Tuesday, July 7th, 4.30 p.m. to 5.45 p.m. Eastern Time. Transportation Form Lock. Starfleet, uh, ACB's Transportation Task Force and Environmental Access Committee want to know what would paratransit be like if we were designing it from the ground up? Reservations, vehicles, technologies, Hyperdrive, you get to talk all about it. Yes, even Hyperdrive. This is Starfleet Command saying over and out to mobility and beyond. We've all been through it, even in the most intimate of healthcare settings. 
It's all about the blindness. Join ACB Women and Deborah Kendrick Tuesday, July 7th from 4.30 to 5.45 p.m. Eastern. In this session for women only, Deborah will discuss and offer insights from her latest book, Navigating Healthcare, when all they can see is that you can't. As you'll see, you're not alone. And there are ways to manage these difficult and awkward situations. So join ACB Women and let's share. Okay, it says I am muted. Let's see. on the stream so I don't think I'm totally muted but I think we're getting ready to start up but I hope everybody's having a good time I know we are on Facebook live there we go Ray is that you Right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Rick. Okay, okay, no problem. Sorry about that little dead air, folks. There we go. Uh, we are back from break. I don't know about you, but that was a terrible restroom line to get through there oh, this no. morning. <laughs> uh, but uh, it made it back on time, and we're ready to go. Um, okay. Next on our agenda, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a great partner of ACB and someone, an organization that we have worked with for a number of years. Um, I'm going to turn it over uh, in just a second to Kirk Adams, who is uh, President CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, before I do that, I'm um, going to let you all know that Kirk will be taking questions. So once again, if you'd like to submit a question for Kirk, you can send that to questions at acb.org. And in the subject line, uh, just say question for Kirk. And in the body of your message, put name, city, and state, uh, with it, where you're from, and whatever your question is. So without further ado, giving a big ACB shout out, uh, sending it from Glenelg, Illinois, to Arlington, Virginia, and welcoming Kirk Adams from AFB. I am Dr. Kirk Adams. I am privileged to serve as the president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind and as always, it's wonderful spending time you time with you all this week, albeit virtually. I've heard a lot of familiar voices, Dan Spoon and Eric Bridges and Kim Charlson and Dave Trott, uh, Mark Reichert, Cindy Hollis, who we, we worked together in Seattle. Who knew I'd be in Virginia and you'd be in Minneapolis a few years later? Katie Frederick, uh, who is on our board of trustees, led a discussion on Sunday about the Helen Keller archives. And um, I heard Brian Charleston, former AFB trustee's voice during roll call. So Eric talked to Mr. Bridges, I should say, talked about ACB values during um, the opening session. And I'd like to talk a little bit about AFB's values. We, we went through an employee-led values identification process. And our, our four values are learning, impact, excellence, and collaboration. And I, I think collaboration is really the, the theme between AFB and ACB, um, as well as other organizations in the field. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on Sunday, there was a presentation about the Helen Keller Archives, which we are 
proud stewards of Helen Keller being our most famous and longest tenured employee. And we were bequeathed her estate. And when I came to AFB, most, most of the artifacts were in storage, long-term storage, and we wanted them to have a higher impact. So we, we sought a, a partner to house the archives in the American Printing House for the Blind is building out a, a beautiful museum space for the exhibit. Another example is scholarships. I also found when I came to AFB that there were a number of donors who who'd left funds to AFB designated that they be used for scholarships. So uh, we, had, we had 10 or 11 scholarships. They were you know, relatively small. Uh, we did an annual application process. We had dozens of applicants. We went through a process to select them. We sent them a check, but we did not have a forum or an opportunity to, to honor or spotlight the scholarship winners as I have observed ACB doing. So we, we did reach out to the council and ask if we could make an arrangement to have, have ACB administer AFB scholarship funds. And this is the first year that's happened. I think um, Mr. Bridges and I agreed in principle that, that we would do that. And then uh, Nancy on your staff and Patsy on our staff had, had the uh, task of working out all the little details, but it's, uh, it's working. It's been heartwarming to hear the scholarship winners. Hearing the, the gentleman who lives in Bellingham, Washington yesterday made, made me homesick for the Northwest. So again, good morning. Thank you. I just want to talk a little bit about what we're up to at AFB. Without all of our hard work, it's hard to imagine that we, we, uh, we will achieve without collaboration the world of no limits for, he, for people who are blind that, that we're all seeking. Uh, we, our two organizations have a really positive history of partnership and collaboration. I look forward to deepening that. Most recently, um, we were involved in research related to COVID. And one of the cool things about working at AFB is we have some doctoral level researchers on staff. So if we want to dig into a problem to really understand it, we have the capacity to design and implement academically sound research studies. And we worked with ACB and 20, a total of 20 blindness organizations to get out a survey right away called Flatten, Flatten Inaccessibility. And it looked at areas um, impacting people who are blind, access to healthcare, education, the online work environment, transportation. Um, this afternoon at 4.30, there is a session, Meet AFB, and our, our Director of Research, Dr. L. Penny Rosenblum, will be part of that presentation. She'll talk more about the research findings. Uh, on the heels of that, we issued a study specifically focused on K-12 education in the virtual environment for blind children. And uh, the results of that study are being analyzed and will be published. I just looked at preliminary, preliminary results and one, just one number that jumped out at me, there were 853 TVIs who responded. We, we had over 1,900 respondents for, for both surveys, which is, which is excellent sample size. But of the 853 TVIs who responded, 25% were serving four or more school districts, and some as many as seven. So that's uh, we, we all knew TVIs were spread too thin, and now we have, now we have some numbers. So we're really, um, at AFB, pulled in our focus during COVID a little bit. We, we have a number of initiatives, a number of things we're working on 
but really for the time being, we're concentrating on effective education uh, of blind K through 12 students and continued successful employment in virtual environments for, for blind people who, who are employed. Um, it's really impossible to talk about any of these things without taking COVID-19 into account. Uh, but anyway, you slice it, we all know the employment numbers. We all know that the employment rates uh, for, for people who are blind are half as good or twice as bad as the general population, how, however you slice it. We know that, we also know that 38% of blind individuals indicate they've turned down an employment opportunity because of transportation barriers. So there may be a silver lining here in this global crisis as virtual work becomes normalized becomes the way of the world, remote productivity tools improve, that this may open up new opportunities for people who are blind in the world of employment. And we would like to focus on that. Next year is our centennial. We'll be 100, founded in 1921. And we are going to put together a centennial campaign that focuses on employment, that spotlights employment, that brings attention to accessibility of tools. Like you, um, we also took our conference virtual, our annual leadership conference. We, we, we weren't as ambitious as you. We did not plan 108 sessions. We recorded a number of virtual sessions. Many of them have to do with responses to COVID, and those are archived. They're transcribed and closed captioned. And if you go to our website, afb.org, you can uh, find the virtual conference. And we welcome you to enjoy those sessions at your leisure. They're there. Our final concluding session will be hosted on Monday, July 13th. It's a conversation between myself and Hob and Germa about our experiences, blind individuals, pre, pre and post ADA. Another area we're focusing on, as are you, I know you have the JP Morgan Chase Leadership Program as part of your, your conference and convention. We kicked off a blind leaders development program this year. Great inaugural, inaugural class of 16 blind leadership fellows. Uh, it's a career acceleration program. These are all individuals who are employed, have been between two and eight years, and 16 blind mentors. Of course, we are going to bring them all together in person as part of the conference. We've pivoted uh, virtually. We are using um, a curriculum based on the leadership challenge by Kuzis and Postner. We're using the leadership practices inventory. It's, um, it's a great program. We look forward to continuing it year after year. Applications will uh, be out late summer, early fall for the next round, and we'll make sure to share those with ACB. So as we look toward our centennial, I mentioned we're building a centennial campaign that's designed to bring focus and spotlight onto employment or, uh, of people who are blind. And we're really focusing on equity, inclusion, and transformation. Uh, planning's underway. Things can change uh, in a moment. Um, we had planned large galas for next year in uh, Washington, D.C., in New York, and San Francisco. And we are um, making, making other plans quickly. But we really think we have an opportunity to focus the conversation around equity inclusion and transformation. We're having a national conversation that's broader and deeper than ever before, catalyzed by uh, Black Lives Matter. 
but we are talking about systemic barriers to inclusion, systemic discrimination and oppression. So it really gives us an opportunity as organizations to enter into these conversations. The other night I was listening to a scholar talk about this opportunity to talk about inclusion. And she talked about all the voices that should be at the table. And she said, we need pieces of, uh, we need voices from every gender, every sexual identity, every race, every ethnicity, every economic status of veterans. And I I kept waiting uh, for her to say, and people with disabilities. And I I did not hear people with disabilities included in the list. So uh, AFB and ACB, we have an opportunity to reach out to other organizations who are also concerned with systemic barriers and systemic oppression and make sure that we're included in the conversation. So I I look forward to working with with you all to to make sure that happens. I think in in conclusion, because I'd love to take questions and talk about what what you want to talk about, uh, I've been at AFB for, for four years now. We went through a strategic planning process to refine our focus on systems change, influencing public policy and institutional practice. We define three broad areas, education of blind kids, employment of blind adults, and support for older individuals uh, who become blind as part of the aging process. We further refine that to look at all of those things through the lens of employment, because as we did our root cause analysis, we saw that meaningful, gainful careers uh, solve a lot of other problems for people who are blind. And then again, with the uh, current pandemic, we, we narrowed our focus again to really um, highlight and spotlight education of blind kids and employment of blind adults in virtual environments. So that's, that's what we're spending our time and resources and energy on. We look forward to working with you in the future. I thank you again for inviting us to be part of your conference. Please meet AFB today at 4.30, and I'd love to take questions. All the audio okay. Thank you, Kirk. And uh, I will say one of the things that I really missed about uh, an in-person convention this year is the uh, AFB breakfast. It's always a good time to break some bread and uh, talk about uh, what's going on in your uh, great organization. Okay. Um, it's, we got about three minutes. So, Janet, do we have any questions? We do have, we do have a question, yes. Okay. And I think this is very important, especially since, you know, we're focusing on employment. Beth Terranova from Virginia wants to know, what do you see as the future of hard copy and refreshable Braille? Great question. Uh, Kirk? Well, like you, Ray, I am reading my notes in Braille. I am um, a Braille reader all day, every day. I When my retina is detached when I was in kindergarten, I went to a school, Oregon State School for the Blind. Mm-hmm. Kim, Kim Charles was there. Um, first, second, and third grade got my Braille skills, and then uh, off off into public school. So, I think technology gives us a chance to make some gains in the use of Braille. The TBI number I mentioned earlier is quite distressing, but when Karen Kinniger gave her NLS update, there was going to be there are going to be thousands potentially of affordable, refreshable Braille devices in people's hands. And I think it's incumbent upon us to um, do the work consistently to promote Braille education 
for blind children, access to Braille. And as we move into virtual environments, I think, again, there's an opportunity to make sure that access to Braille is included. Um, there, will be, there will be bills, designated funds for supporting virtual work environments in this country. We need to make sure that people who are blind are considered and that Braille is funded. All right. Um, Janet, do we have any more? Well, Ellen Nolan from New Mexico wants to know how, if the number of people who, of, with jobs of people who are blind has declined since COVID. It has. Yeah, it has. So as I, we, we have the survey, the results are, are uh, available. Dr. Rosenblum will talk about the results. But in general terms, like I said earlier, the outcomes are either half as good or twice as bad. Uh, for people who are blind compared to the general population. So as uh, employment rates dropped for the general population, they, they, they dropped twice as much, roughly, uh, for people who are blind. Okay. And my last question is someone asks uh, Hannah from Minneapolis, Hannah Fernie from Minneapolis, asking mm-hmm. if you can provide an email in case people want to contact you. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a Facebook addict, so feel free to reach out that way. Uh, AFB has a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn page. And my personal email address is my first initial K, my last name Adams, so K-A-D-A-M-S at A-F-B dot O-R-G. All right. Uh, that's going to be all the time we have for questions. Uh, again, if you'd like to reach out to Kirk, you can reach him at K. Adams, K-A-D-A-M-S at AFB.org, or you can find him on Facebook, LinkedIn, as was mentioned. Um, and uh, certainly encourage, uh, if you want to talk further, uh, there is the uh, Meet AFB session this afternoon at 4.30 Eastern Time. Uh, look in your Zoom codes um, listing for that uh, session if you'd like to uh, be a part of that. Thank okay. you so much. Have a great Thank convention. You. You too. Thank you, sir, for uh, coming and, and talking with us. Certainly appreciate that. Okay. We're going to, as, as a man speaks, a woman starts making her way to the virtual podium. Yes, we're going to hear about all things audio description for a little while now. And so I get to relax and hand the microphone over for the first part of our audio description, a very special presentation, and to introduce that presentation, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our immediate past president of ACB, Ms. Kim Charlson. Thank you, Ray, and uh, good morning, everyone. I have the honor of serving as co-chair of the Audio Description Project. I serve um, with Carl Richardson from Boston, as well for the co-chair position of the Audio Description Steering Committee. And first on our agenda this morning regarding audio description, um, it's my pleasure to introduce um, a video presentation we have. um, And to do that, um, we'll be hearing from Senator Ed Markey. So let me um, just give you a little bit of background about why Senator Markey is going to be talking to us this morning. Um, Senator Ed Markey has fought throughout his career in Congress 37 years as a member of the House of Representatives and seven years as a U.S. Senator from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to break down barriers to equal opportunity for all persons with disabilities. He believes that equal access 
to a quality education is necessary to level the playing field for children who are blind or visually impaired or those who have other disabilities. That's why he introduced and reintroduced the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act in October of 2019 to ensure that visual and hearing impaired students receive the proper educational accommodations and increase the effectiveness of services for students who are deaf, hard of hearing, blind, visually impaired, and deafblind. The legislation would also enhance reporting and evaluation for all special education in each state while increasing training for teachers and special education professionals. Of most importance to us here today, Senator Markey had introduced and co-authored the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, or as we call it, the CVAA, which was signed into law by President Obama in October of 2010. The legislation's mission was to update accessibility laws from the 1980s and 1990s and make them current with today's technology, promoting equitable use for people with disabilities, including provisions for audio description. It is my honor today to, well, and every day, actually, to be a constituent of Senator Ed Markey, who truly is an advocate and champion for all people with disabilities. Now let's listen to the remarks sent to us, especially for the ACB convention and its attendees today from U.S. Senator Edward Markey. I'm Senator Ed Markey, Senator from Massachusetts. And while I wish we could be together in person for your annual conference and convention, I wanna thank the American Council of the Blind and all its partners for your incredible continuing commitment, even through this pandemic, to connecting everyone and bringing opportunities to all. I am also proud to join all of you in celebrating the 10th anniversary of President Obama signing the CVAA, or the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, into law. I authored that legislation while I served in the House of Representatives, and it remains one of my proudest achievements. I committed myself almost four decades ago to the principles of opportunity, independence, and equal access for all. I believe that no one should be left behind and that technology must be accessible to everyone. I've always believed that accessibility is not a partisan issue. It's about participation. And each of you should have the ability to participate in society to the greatest extent that your talents and your abilities permit. It was about 30 years ago that the ADA mandated physical ramps onto buildings. But by 2010, we needed online ramps to the internet. It used to be about wheelchair accessibility. Now it's also about web accessibility. Individuals with disabilities should be able to get online from anywhere and thrive in today's increasingly connected society. So on the 20th anniversary of the ADA, the House of Representatives passed the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. The CVAA is meant to ensure that no one is left behind ever again when it comes to emerging 21st century technologies. Unlike previous laws, Congress had passed laws that primarily were attempting to catch up to old technologies. 
The CDAA is meant to ensure that no one is left behind ever again when it comes to emerging 21st century technologies. That means smartphones, tablets, set-top boxes, or the universe of apps, devices, and services still in the mind of some 15-year-old whiz kid somewhere in the world. And that is what we have to work on so that we ensure that everything is designed with accessibility in the first place, not added after the fact. As many of you know, President Obama was signing the CVAA into law was merely the beginning. You all had the tall task of implementing that law and creating the technology and products needed to support this expanded accessibility. And you were up to the challenge. The FCC met every implementation deadline because of all of your work. Because of all of you, here's what is possible today. You can open an app on your mobile device with your voice, not just with your fingers. You can ask your phone to tell you aloud who is calling and tell it to read text messages to you. You can watch television with captions on your iPad, laptop, or even your mobile phone. We have web browsers that allow screen readers to read web pages to you and also expressive voices that can laugh, cry, yell, depending on the chat icons used in a text or email message. You can now find any program, our channel, or even record a TV show using your voice-activated remote control, even if you can't see the buttons or on-screen menu. And the engineers are working on more features as we speak, and that's the way it should be. As the world changes with new technologies and services, we have to remember it's never intrinsically for the better or for the worse. New technologies and services are only good when we animate them with the human values, equal opportunity, and access for all that reflect the best of what we are as a society. These are timeless American values that are as relevant today as they were when Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller were working together. When we expand the circle of inclusion, we evolve as a people. So as we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the CVAA, we know that to continue in that tradition, we'll need all of your efforts to advance the work of Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan into the future. Thank you for all of your great work. This is an incredible thing to celebrate, this anniversary of inclusion, this anniversary of ensuring equal access. Thank you all for everything which you do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick and um, the AV crew for making it possible to have that video presentation from Senator Markey. It really is a pleasure to work with him, and he really does get it, um, as all of you can understand. Um, when somebody gets it, it's really a pleasure to work with them. So um, thank you. Um, now it's my privilege to turn the presentation over for the, for the presentation of our Audio Description Project Achievement Awards for 2020. And these awards, um, we have a subcommittee of the Audio Description Project that worked on making the selections. We had nearly 40 nominations for these categories and um, outstanding recipients today. The subcommittee chair for our awards committee is Jeff Tom, and you'll hear him next. Thank you very much. Before I present the 2020 Audio Description Project Awards, let me introduce my committee. Dan Spoon and Kim Charleston, you know them, Carl Richardson, Sean Barrett, and last but not least, Joel Snyder. The awards we present each year are designed to recognize leadership in the description field 
within the wide range of its applications. This year, we are delighted to present achievement awards in performing arts, media, museums, the international arena, and special recognition awards. We also remember the contributions of Dr. Margaret Fansteel and Barry Levine with the Dr. Margaret R. Fansteel Memorial Achievement Award for Research and Development and the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description. This year, we had more nominees than ever before, making our work all the more challenging, and it required difficult choices. For achievement in the performing arts, it gives me great pleasure to recognize my hometown performing arts theater, Broadway Sacramento. Because of Margie Donovan's leadership, AC Beach Capital Chapter support, and Margaret Hardy from AudioVisions, uh, technical assistance and equipment loans, on April 24, 2010, Broadway Sacramento launched its first audio-described performance, Little House on the Prairie, with overwhelming enthusiasm from the blind and low-vision community. In the past 10 years, Broadway Sacramento has purchased audio receivers and transmitters, trained awesome audio describers, who have gone on to work all over the Sacramento area, provided tactile pre-show presentations, trained ushers and volunteers how to work with people with vision disabilities, offered braille and large print programs, and through its Arts Alive program, summer venues now offer discount performance tickets to encourage the attendance and education of new audiences, including those with vision loss. Accepting the award will be president of Broadway Sacramento, Richard Lewis. Congratulations, Richard. Hello, I'm Richard Lewis, president and CEO of Broadway Sacramento, Broadway at Music Circus, and Broadway on Tour. I'm very pleased to accept this Achievement in Audio Description Award on behalf of Broadway Sacramento. I'd like to sincerely thank everyone at the Audio Description Project, particularly Joel Snyder and Jeff Tom, as well as Margie Donovan from our local ACB chapter for recognizing Broadway Sacramento's efforts to make our performances more accessible to our blind and visually impaired patrons. Musical theater is an art form that brings great joy to the people, and we believe that it's important to make it as accessible as possible for people to experience. In addition to our audio-described performances, when possible, we offer a pre-show tactile presentation that provide patrons who are blind and visually impaired an opportunity for some close-up, hands-on interaction with costumes and props from the show accompanied by detailed descriptions from members of the production team. We also offer open caption and sign interpretive performances for our patrons who are deaf or hard of hearing. And through Arts Alive and Community Night Dress Rehearsals, we serve patrons who might not otherwise be able to attend musical theater performances. We hope to continue to expand our efforts to allow our entire community to enjoy musical theater. Thank you again for recognizing Broadway Sacramento. Also in the performing arts area, we want to acknowledge Mary Hanks in Houston with our Special Recognition Achievement Award. For many years, Mary has single-handedly ensured that performances by the Houston Grand Opera are accessible via audio description. She has described over 200 opera performances. For years, she was the only Houston Grand Opera audio describer. She describes, recruits, trains, and schedules, expanding accessibility services all over Houston. 
Her work with the Houston Museum District Association has resulted in the addition of accessibility services for persons with vision loss at five institutions. Consumers of Mary's top-notch audio description services will often travel hundreds of miles to hear her description, and describers consult with her regularly. Mary? Thank you, Jeff. And thank you to the Audio Description Project for this honor. I'm grateful to so many people. Thanks to those who gave me a background in civiotics and aesthetics, filmmaker Brian Huberman and the late art historian Thomas McEvely. And shout out to the folks who actually dragged me into the description booth, Adele McGram and Gary Gibbs. And my everlasting gratitude to the folks who kept me going, Gail Greenberg, Richard Wong, Krista Cooper, Patrick Hoyt, Gina Goff, and two fabulous audio describers, Sabrina Martinez and Joe Lide. Because of you, I can tell the world that we've had audio description at Houston Grand Opera since 1987. Now, it's challenging to audio describe opera, but it can be done. So let's talk about it. I would love to hear more. We can do this on the ADP discussion list. Details on the Audio Description Project website. One last thing. I know you've been wondering, so no. I have never gone into the description booth and said, the fat lady's singing. From Houston, the most diverse city in the United States, this is Mary Hanks telling you thank you for supporting audio description. In the media category, we are pleased to acknowledge Disney Plus, the Walt Disney Company. From its launch, Disney Plus has included audio description with its offerings, the only streaming service to have such a large number of titles available from its inception. They have committed to adding audio description tracks to all original programming and have audio described their extensive back catalog dating back almost a century. Titles such as Snow White, Dumbo, and Cinderella now allow children from ages 1 to 101 who are blind or visually impaired to enjoy more meaningfully all of the classics that have enchanted sighted audiences for decades. I have to say that just a few days ago, I enjoyed Annie audio described for the first time, and I can't believe how much I learned. Mirka Pavlikova will be accepting the award on behalf of Disney+. Plus. Mirka? Hello. Thank you so much to ACB. It is my honor to accept this award on behalf of the team here at Disney and Disney+. Plus. Inclusivity and accessibility are so important to us when we think about our content, and we are always looking for ways to improve and expand our offerings so that even more people can enjoy it. A story that is relatable and that audiences can immerse themselves in, that's the experience we want to provide to people, no matter how they are coming to it. And it's not just important for us to have accessibility features like audio description. It's very important to us that they are of a high quality. The response we've had from the community and ACB is so encouraging and inspiring. I really feel passionate about this work and I greatly appreciate the collaboration we've had with ACB who have helped us understand what the community is looking for. I want to recognize our fantastic team who consistently goes above and beyond with their commitment as well. Thank you to all the writers, 
all the narrators, mixers, and quality control people who have put their efforts into this, along with our delivery team and the team at Disney Plus who are working to put this content into the world. Thank you again. We are excited to be able to offer our museum's audio description achievement award to Michelle Hartley. Since 2010, Michelle has served as media accessibility coordinator for the Harper's Ferry Center, HFC, an interpretive and media design center for the National Park Service, NPS system. During her tenure as the acting deputy associate manager of HFC's audiovisual arts department, she was responsible for improving accessibility of park movies by providing audio description, captions, and assistive listening. She developed audio-described exhibits for NPS sites and used automatic triggers to provide more independent access for users. She also facilitated an audio description player option for videos posted on nps.gov. Over the past six years, she has been the National Park Service liaison to the Unit Description Project, an initiative that produces audio-described park brochures. Congratulations, Michelle. Hello, ACB. Receiving this recognition means so much to me. I just can't tell you what it means to hear that folks are interested in visiting our parks, are visiting our parks more, and feel more connected to the National Park Service because more and more audio description is available. So years ago, I was welcomed um, into a West Virginia local chapter meeting. And since then, it's just grown um, from other local chapters to the state level, to the national level, and to all the people who are working on UED. You all have been so generous with your patience, with your guidance, and with your times. Um, this recognition really makes me feel like I'm on the right track with this work. And I'm so honored to be on that track with you. Thank you so much for the help that you've given to me, the standards that you hold me to, and for laughing with me along the way. This year, our International Achievement Award goes to Vocalize in the United Kingdom. Vocalize is considered the leading audio description company working in the UK theater, museum, and heritage sectors. Recognized with funding by Arts Council England since the beginning, Vocalize has audio described around 2,300 productions across the country, an average of 180 each year, covering drama, comedy, musicals, opera, ballet, dance, circus, children's theater, outdoor festivals, yes, and even fireworks displays. Along with the involvement of blind and partially sighted users and professionals, Vocalize provides a 10 to 15 minute recorded audio introduction a week before each performance, containing information about the set, characters and costumes, venue access information, and contact details. On performance day, a touch tour on stage is an opportunity to explore the set, props and costumes, and meet members of the cast. Large print and braille cast and creative lists are provided. In 2012, Vocalize established a museum, gallery, and heritage program, which includes live tours, recorded guides, training courses for venue staff in visual awareness, guiding, and audio description. Matthew Cock will be accepting Vocalize Award. Congratulations, Matthew. 
Hi, I'm Matthew Cock, Chief Executive of Vocalize from the UK. We're so incredibly grateful and proud to have been given this award. It's a testament to the skill, dedication and support of the incredible team that has made Vocalize what we are since 1998. Past and present audio describers, trainers, technicians, producers, staff, trustees, funders, volunteers, ambassadors, user panellists, and above all, the supportive community of audio description users across the UK who demand and deserve the best so that they can enjoy the arts on an equal basis in society. I also wanted to mention that we work or have worked with and have definitely learned from previous winners from the UK, um, who I'd like to mention, Anne Hornsby from Mind's Eye, Louise Fryer, and Joan Greening in the RNIB. The award comes at a time when theatres, museums and heritage sites across the UK face an uncertain future. And we're all concerned with ensuring access and inclusion are not sacrificed in the new normal. The award's already been a great morale booster to help us at this time. Thank you very much. We also want to present a special recognition achievement award in the international category to audio described Aotearoa in New Zealand. According to my sister-in-law, who lives in New Zealand, the term Aotearoa means land of a long white cloud in Maori, the language of the indigenous population of New Zealand. In 2020, many countries, New Zealand included, went into COVID-19 lockdown. Theaters, museums, and galleries closed their doors. Audio described Aotearoa immediately sought opportunities to continue audio description. The Royal New Zealand Ballet was planning to live stream recordings of their recent performances. So, Audio Described Aotearoa collaborated with them to offer audio description. So far, over 1,500 people from around the world have tuned in to the Audio Described Ballet. In 2019, Audio Described Aotearoa trained the first two Maori audio describers and simultaneously audio described both in English and Maori, a world first. Nicola Owen will accept the award on behalf of Audio Described Aotearoa. Nicola, congratulations. Kia ora, warm Pacific greetings from New Zealand. Hi, this is Paul and Nicola. We just want to say we're really thrilled to receive this international audience and I want to acknowledge the work of the Royal New Zealand Ballet and my fellow describers Neha Patel and Kevin Keyes amongst others uh, they too particularly helped to make it possible. As a lifelong blind person I never thought I'd enjoy ballet but our collaboration with the Royal New Zealand Ballet over the last four years has been amazing and I've been thrilled to share that with blind people across the world. We feel really lucky to be part of an international audio description community. And we had a wonderful time at your conference in Vegas in 2014. We can't wait to catch up again in person as soon as that's possible. We know lockdown's been really hard and we hope our online descriptions have helped to make people feel more connected across the world. The big lesson we want to pass on to arts organisations is that there's an international audience out there for audio description. So get your stuff online. In the Maori language, which is the indigenous language of New Zealand, people say kia kaha, which means stay strong. So from us here in New Zealand, kia, kia kaha. kaha. The Margaret Fansteel Award for Research and Development is being awarded to United Airlines. 
United Airlines is the first U.S.-based airline to offer the most extensive suite of accessibility features on their in-flight seatback entertainment system, which accommodates any level of visual disabilities, as well as provides support for hearing and mobility-impaired passengers. Not only are all the features and functions of the system available using text-to-speech and screen magnification, but passengers can easily find movies and other entertainment with audio description. United offers the largest selection of movies and TV shows with audio description and closed captioning. 54 titles of any U.S. airline. Corrine Stryker will accept the award on behalf of United Airlines. Congratulations, Corrine. Thank you so much. Um, it's an absolute honor to receive this award on behalf of United Airlines. I would like to take this opportunity to thank the American Council of the Blind for recognizing our efforts in providing entertainment for all in flight. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank my team within United and all the United stakeholders that all came together to help us to deliver this system. I'd also like to thank our partners, Panasonic Avionics, who we worked with tirelessly to be able to deliver this solution. We hope we have inspired other airlines within the industry to follow suit and are grateful for the light that this has shined upon the work that we have done. Thank you. Finally, we are pleased to present our highest award, the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description to Matthew J. Kaplowitz. Matt Kaplowitz is CEO and Chief Creative Officer, as well as President and Director of Technology and Innovation for Bridge Multimedia, the largest producer of audio description for network and cable TV in the United States. But it is the work that he has done on behalf of blind children and those with multiple disabilities that is truly amazing. He has produced songs and chants that blind preschoolers can use when learning various orientation and mobility skills. Matt also works with the National Braille Press to create descriptions of Braille print children's picture books. Blind parents reading these books to their sighted children can share in the joy of the pictures. Matt is also an Emmy, Peabody, and Grammy Award-winning producer, composer, and sound designer, as well as an assistive listening system engineer and AV systems integration specialist for ADA-compliant installations for public spaces. Congratulations, Matt, on the Barry Levine Award. Thank you, and hello, everyone. I am excited beyond words to accept the American Council of the Blind's Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description. It's a great honor being recognized by ACB, an organization whose name is synonymous with audio description, and I deeply thank everyone who made it possible. I am humbled to stand in the company of the luminaries who have previously received this award. This year, everyone is experiencing uncertainty and change on an epic scale, and this is our time to respond. We can use audio description to build greater knowledge and awareness wherever it's needed during these unusual times. For example, Bridge Multimedia pledged its support to audio describe 10 hours of original programming teaching remote learning during COVID-19 to students with special needs for the U.S. Department of Education. There's a lot more to be done. 
Recent events have directed the nation's focus to the continuing struggle for social justice. Throughout the past decade, Bridge has taken action by providing pro bono audio description for more than 100 documentaries and feature films with socially progressive themes. We're proud to have produced the first public service announcement on network television about audio description and to continuously be providing audio description to support the fabulous work of Ronald McDonald House Charities. We're also developing an accessible video podcast series that introduces STEM careers to blind, low vision, and deaf, hard of hearing students. Years ago, Barry Levine challenged me to expand the reach of audio description. So now in 2020, I challenge each one of us to see how we can further the use of audio description as a powerful instrument to help spread social justice and foster greater diversity, equality, and accessibility. Thank you, ACB, for this award, and thank you to the entire accessibility community for the crucial work you do, whatever the circumstances. Here's to a new normal worth attaining, the freedom, independence, and shared productivity of all citizens. Thank you. Good afternoon. This is Joel Snyder, and I am honored to be speaking to you today as the director of the Audio Description Project, now in our 11th year. The Audio Description Project exists as a major audio description promotion and production initiative under the leadership of Dan Spoon, president of the ACB, and Kim Charlson and Carl Richardson, co-chairs of the ACB Audio Description Project Steering Committee. I want to be certain that you are aware of how much information we provide on description, particularly via our website and our webmaster, Fred Brack. Please visit us at acb.org slash ADP. It really is the go-to site in the U.S. for information on all things audio description on television, streaming and movie theaters, museums, performing art spaces, and much more. We now have over 2,500 likes on the ADP Facebook page, and we continue to broaden the ADP uh, through our Twitter outreach. We provide weekly updates on audio-described DVDs and Blu-ray discs, and we have a master list of thousands of titles now available on DVD and on streaming platforms. We also provide daily updates on TV shows, including description, in our comprehensive listing of broadcast television programs with audio description. And we continue to develop our state-by-state lists of performing arts and museum venues currently offering audio description for performances, as well as a state-by-state list of National Park Service facilities with audio description. And please join us throughout the rest of this exciting week for a plethora of sessions on audio description. This afternoon, from 3 to 4.15, our legislative update. Tomorrow, Wednesday, from 4.30 to 545, a session on the National Park Service and audio description. On Thursday, from 3 to 415, strategies for cord cutting or do you stream a review of the current status of network description via broadcast and or the uh, multitude of streaming services or apps. And on Friday, 3 to 415, Audio description and quality control, the hiring of description producers, describers, and audio editors. Thank you so much for your interest in audio description. Thank you, Rick. Congratulations to all of the award winners and the audio description, and it's uh, great work going on out there. Um, Personal 
quick per point of personal privilege, it was great to be involved testing the Entertainment for All system for United and helping with that. All right, we are running a little behind schedule, but we thank our next presenter for his patience. It now gives me great pleasure to turn the podium over to Benjamin Shaberman, who is with the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Benjamin, I don't have a title for you on my sheet here, but um, anyway, so you can maybe tell us that. And Benjamin actually will be screen sharing his slides. So for those of you that have some usable vision and will be able to take advantage of that, you can certainly enjoy that. So without further ado, over to Benjamin Shaberman from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Well, thank you uh, for that introduction, and thanks to the ACB for giving me uh, a, a little bit of time to tell you about some of the great things happening uh, for retinal degenerative diseases. I am Ben Shaberman. I'm Senior Director of Scientific Outreach at the Foundation Fighting Blindness. I've been with the organization for more than 15 years. And we're the leading private funder of research for inherited retinal degenerative diseases like RP, Stargardt disease, Usher syndrome, and we also uh, fund dry age-related macular degeneration. And we've been around uh, for about 50 years. We've raised more than $800 million toward our mission, and the past I would say 10 to 15 years have been very exciting for us as many therapies have now moved into clinical trials, into human studies, again, for many of the conditions that I talked about, RP, labor congenital amaurosis, Usher syndrome, and Stargardt disease. These therapies include gene therapies, stem cells, pharmaceutical therapies. Some of the therapies are designed to work across multiple um, diseases uh, or different gene mutations. And um, we continue to help companies and the research community move more of their treatments into clinical trials. Often when I do these talks, uh, if I am able to talk for a longer period of time, I spend much of the conversation reviewing many of the clinical trials that are underway. What's exciting is many of the therapies are not only proving to be safe, which is important in a clinical setting, but they're also showing early signs of efficacy. And currently, the foundation's portfolio is about 80 different projects around the world. These include lab studies, studies to move uh, projects out of the lab into clinical trials, natural history studies, clinical trials themselves. And we also fund um, the careers of up-and-coming clinical researchers who both see patients and are helping advance treatments into the clinic. So the bulk of my talk, I'll be um, reviewing our no-cost genetic testing program and registry, but I did want to give you just a, a quick research highlight. Um, back in December 2017, the, the FDA approved the first gene therapy for any eye condition or any inherited condition. And that gene therapy is called Luxterna. It was developed by Spark Therapeutics that's now part of uh, the bigger pharmaceutical company Roche. The therapy is designed to 
um, replace mutated genes in, in people with RPE65 mutations, which uh, cause both labor congenital amaurosis and RP. And this gene therapy has had remarkable results for those that have received it. Um, kids have put away their white canes. Um, they're able to see their parents and their friends' faces for the first time. Some can even see stars in the sky after receiving this gene therapy. So as the first gene therapy approved for the eye or an inherited condition, it's a very exciting development. And while it's just targeting one specific gene at the moment, um, it really is paving the way for the development of other gene therapies for other retinal conditions, be, be they retinitis pigmentosa, other forms of LCA, Usher syndrome, Stargardt disease, and there are even gene therapies in development for dry and wet AMD. And I'm pleased to say that the Foundation Fighting Blindness provided about $10 million in funding for this project to help get it in a clinical trial. So let's talk about genetic testing for people with inherited retinal diseases. If you are someone with RP, Usher syndrome, Stargardt disease, or any of the other inherited retinal diseases, getting a genetic diagnosis is very important. A clinical diagnosis is not necessarily conclusive. It's not until you find the mutated gene that you really know the underlying cause of your disease. And in fact, in about 15% of cases, when somebody does get genetically tested and they get the result, their diagnosis will change. And the Foundation Fighting Blindness is teamed up with Blueprint Genetics to offer no-cost genetic testing for anybody with a clinical diagnosis of an inherited retinal disease. And once somebody does get a genetic diagnosis, that gives them a few advantages. One, it helps them, again, confirm their disease. Um, it helps them understand the inheritance pattern, how that condition may be affecting other family mem members, what their risk is. And then many clinical trials that are underway will require a genetic diagnosis. So having uh, your gene identified is a great way to get into clinical trials. Now, the blueprint panel is ordered by your doctor. You don't order it. You go to your doctor. They go to blueprintgenetics.com and they can order the panel. We have information on the Foundation Fighting Blindness website that you can give to your doctor, but they ordered the panel. And it's a very comprehensive panel. It screens for mutations in about 322 different retinal disease genes. It also screens for one of the more commonly mutated genes, RPGR. Other panels don't often... Um, screen for that. It can also screen for the harder to find mutations like copy number variants and intronic variants. And perhaps most important, when you do participate in this program, your personal information is never shared. There are other no-cost genetic testing programs that when you sign up for them, you are giving away your right to privacy. They do have the opportunity to disseminate or sell your personal information.
And then once you get genetic testing, um, it takes about four weeks for the results to come. They come back to your doctor, but you're also eligible for no cost genetic counseling to get a counselor from informed DNA to help you understand those results. It's really important because the reports are even difficult for the doctors to understand, but the uh, counselors at informed DNA will definitely um, communicate the information in an easy to understand way and help you and your family understand what those results mean. Keep in mind, when people are genetically tested for an IRD at this point in time, they'll get a, re a conclusive result in about 60 to 70% of cases. But if you don't get a conclusive result, informed DNA will help you understand the best path forward and uh, when to consider retesting. So that's the genetic testing and counseling uh, portion of our program. We also have a patient registry where you can upload information about your disease, whether it's the genetic information, what your vision is like, um, what activities of daily living you can perform, lots of information so that you can help researchers around the world better understand these conditions. The registry is called My Retina Tracker. It's global, it's free, it's highly secure. We never share personal information with researchers or companies, but it enables them to better understand these retinal diseases. We have about 15,000 people in the registry. We're working to up that to get more information out to the research community. And again, you manage your record. Now, if you're in our program and you get a genetic testing result, Blueprint will automatically upload it to the registry if you want. And also inform DNA, if you choose them for genetic counseling, which we hope you do, they will help you um, begin getting your record, um, your registry record established. Now, the thing that I think people are most excited about the registry is you can get notified about clinical trials for which you may qualify. Again, we never share personal information with the researchers or the clinical trial recruiters. If you match their criteria, it's up to you to contact them. Um, you'll be notified that you match their criteria. Then you contact the uh, therapy developers and let them know you're interested in their trial. Again, you can register at myretinatracker.org. And then to finish out my talk, I wanted to do a little shameless self-promotion. Again, I've been with the foundation for um, about 15 years. I've had the privilege and the um, honor to interview dozens and dozens of families who have been affected by retinal diseases. And I'm always inspired by the kids. They're my heroes. They're very courageous. They live remarkable lives. And so, uh, those interviews, those relationships that I've established inspired me to write a book called Retina Boy. And it's a story about, it's a, a sci-fi young adult novel. It's about a young um, child. He happened to be born without retinas. And he um, 
mystifies researchers. They don't understand what his retinal condition is. But he grows up to have a really um, good life. He's an amazing rock guitar player. He's got a really cool, smart girlfriend. And ultimately, a little spoiler alert here, he's called upon to save the Earth and an alien planet of blind inhabitants. So the book was published by Apprentice House, um, Loyola University of Maryland, and I do have a few complimentary copies still available on Audible and Kindle. And if you're interested in getting your complimentary copy, you can email me at bshaberman at fightingblindness.org. That's B-S-H-A-B-E-R-M-A-N at fightingblindness.org. And if you want more information about the genetic testing or the research under, underway, you can go to fightingblindness.org. If you're interested in clinical trials, uh, you can learn about those at fightingblindness.org as well, or clinicaltrials.gov, which is um, hosted by NIH. And again, if you do have an inherited retinal disease, we strongly encourage you to register at myretinatracker.org. And that concludes my talk. Thank you to ACB. Thank, thanks to all of you out there for um, attending the session. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. All right. Thank you, Ben. And uh, again, if you, uh, we don't have time for questions for Ben. Uh, but again, if you want to reach out to him, it's bshaberman at fightingblindness.org. All right. Over to David Trott for announcements, followed by Janet with door prizes. David? Good afternoon, ACB. It's great to be with you again today. Um, when I get to MMS, I'll have a special announcement I want to make today, so stick with me. So starting out, I'm going back again to HEMS. HEMS is raffling off a Q-Braille XL Braille display. You can pay them $20 for a raffle ticket. And that'll give you a chance to win. Now, this $20 goes to ACB. So this is another way that you can help to, ex uh, excuse me, I'm asleep this morning. Uh, this will give you a way to help offset the cost of the convention and the great work we do at ACB. So join with HIMS. Um, if you decide you want to buy the Q-Braille XL, um, and you were to win because you automatically get a chance to win, then 100% of your money would be refunded. Okay, tonight is the Easy Chair Auction. It will begin at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and they've got a lot of great items. The list is available at the acbconvention.org, uh, I think. It may be com. I That's org. It's it org. is org. Okay, the ACB Convention website. There's a complete list of items available, and you you can start bidding this afternoon, and good luck. <laughs> the Braille Forum Raffle is having a historic year, and we're looking forward to it even growing more. So if you would like your Braille Forum Raffle tickets, you can contact the Minnesota office at 612-332-3242. Again, those tickets are $50 each, or you can join with up to four of your friends and divide that cost and the prize out. The prizes are $500, $1,000, and a grand prize of $5,000. Again, we thank you, everyone who's already participated this year 
for helping to make this a great success. Okay, today's audio description day, and in the spirit of that, if y'all will help me get to 321, that's three, two, two one. one. <laughs> I will do an audio describe uh, announcement of who the person who was the 321st, assuming they agree to have their name mentioned. But again, you can uh, participate in MMS by as little as $10 a month. Five of it can go to an affiliate of your choice. And you can also enter, that enters you to win one of our daily prizes and the chance to win the iPhone at the end of the uh, this campaign, which would actually end up being the announcement of the iPhone will be made in August. All right, today's winner. And folks, I promise you it's not rigged, and I honestly didn't have anything to do with it because if I did, it would be David or Ronda Trot that was full. So, uh, but today's winner is somebody we all know. Y'all give a good shout out to our president, Dan Spoon, who is today's winner. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Holy cow, you got to be kidding me. Well, Leslie told me, you know, she likes to win. So she told me we needed to up our MMS pledge. And so. We did. Oh, gosh. Thank you, David. That's exciting. Congratulations, Dan. Yeah, congratulations. But but don't thank me. Like I said, if I'd have pulled it, it (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We're really excited. Yeah, please, everybody, make that pledge. Make that donation to the monthly monetary support program. We've got to get to 321. Uh, Of course, Dan's the winner, but you know the big winner is ACB. Most certainly. Hey, uh, David, I got a a light second shout out uh, from the ACB Mini Mall. They just wanted to remind everybody they've got a lot of great items over there. And Carla will be on the transition show here uh, in just a few minutes to talk them up. But if you need to get a hold of the Mini Mall, that number is 877-969-MALL. 877-969-6255. Get them while they're going fast. You know, those... uh, ACB masks are going to sell out before we know it. They're David, wonderful. They're great look, masks. I think you would look good in maybe a mint or perhaps a teal. <laughs> oh, what am I thinking? Got to be a crimson. I don't know, be a crimson make... red, doesn't it? I don't. You know, absolutely. <laughs> what it was, Dan? That might be a little hot, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're having hot weather here in Chicago. I can tell you, the red mask is a little warm. <laughs> so, okay. Well, as I close out, let me say one more thing. Y'all don't forget the auction tonight. If you just go and listen, it's a great event. We all have a lot of fun with the auctions every year. And this will give you, if you've never been to the ACB holiday auction, uh, the way we do it, this will give you an opportunity to know the uh, environment and all. And you can hear your buddies bid, you know, and you might want to get in a little competition. Exactly. So, y'all get in there and, and support the ACB auction tonight. That is the easy chair auction. So that means it's easy to participate in. Thank you, Ray. Y'all have a great day. And we don't even have a cash bar tonight, so maybe you'll have a cashless bar at your house. I don't know. Um, all right, over to you, Janet. For Let's do two door prizes real quick. All right. First one is $25 from ACB of Wisconsin, and that goes to Lillian Goodman of Oregon. Right. And the next one goes is, this is a cool one. It is two dozen homemade shortbread cookies donated by Deb Trevino and uh, – 
ACB of Delaware, and I figured we should also throw in a $20 Starbucks gift certificate donated from Washington Council of the Blind, and that goes to Tia Longmire of Georgia. All right. You can definitely get some coffee with your cookies. Hey, um, stay tuned, folks. The transit, the uh, anchor show is coming up here in just a minute. But before we go to that, this is Ray Campbell again. I just want to thank everybody for listening this morning, giving me the opportunity to to preside. It's always a treat to uh, talk with all of you. I got to send a special shout out, though, to Rick Morin, who is doing a heck of a job producing all of this, and also to JoLynn Bailey Page. You know, when you're totally blind, it's hard to figure out how to get your video right, and she is doing an absolutely fantastic job with that. Thank you, everyone. Stay tuned for the Anchor Show coming next here on the ACB Radio Network.